Hello, and welcome to the BNY Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Owen Shannon. Joining me is the DM, Peter Gorski. How are you? I am doing fantastic, Owen. Very happy to be here. And the other co-host without a nickname, Mark Gorski. How are you? Oh, and I'm in shock. Shock? I am in shock. Explain. Because we briefly talked about this before on the podcast, but less with my editorializing here, but they, over at Nintendo, all of a sudden last night said, hey, in six days from recording from now, my pro- what is going to probably be my game of the year is just going to release in six days. Which we're talking about, the Xenoblade 3 Wave 4 DLC Future Redeemed story DLC, of course. Can you and, say that uh, ten times fast? Nope, I don't even know what I just said, honestly. <laughs> but I, <laughs> it is all true, and it is coming out in six days. And I, I'm glad it's not close to uh, Tears of the Kingdom. I'm glad it's not close to Redfall. I'm glad it's not close to other games. I'm not playing, so. close to Tears of the Kingdom. A JRPG re- DLC is releasing mm-hmm. what two Tears and a half Kingdom weeks is... before Tears of the Kingdom? Tears May twelfth. I think it's 24 days away from now. We're six days away from uh, Future Redeemed. So it gives me... I, I'm going to guess it's like going to be a 20, 30-hour campaign. Just like comparing that to the Xenoblade 2 DLC story they had, that was fairly short. I think it'll be roughly the same length as that. I don't think it's going to be too big. Yeah, I don't know. That that would be a lot for me coming up on Tears of the Kingdom, but I know you're built different, Mark. The You're burying the lead, though. This is episode 100. And it's true. we are here to bring this to you as honorably as we can, not shortchanging it in any way. The only exception is that I have dogs that are gnawing on bones next to me right now, and they might bark. Hopefully, they don't kill the vibe. But beyond that, episode 100, we made it, and it is time to celebrate BNY by we're going to be talking about our top 10 favorite games of all time. But before we get into that, I feel like there's a few different things to uh, pay off quickly. Um, I just want to announce that I have beaten XCOM 2, so everyone, round of applause for me. Uh, We can probably, in the next few weeks, get everyone together to have a little XCOM 2 chat. That'll be fun. Move on with game chat, or games club, finally. Yes, yes, I forgot. It's an official games club game. Um, that's great. We get to rank it. That's nice. I've already, uh, the second I beat it, I already knew exactly where it was going on my list. Wow. I don't, I, I, I need to relook at my list every single time mm-hmm. I beat a games club game. Cause I don't, I don't even remember what we played to be quite honest. I'm pretty, I, I at least can say, I'm sure you could be confident in this too. Owen. I think it's safe to assume where this falls on Peter's list. I, yeah, real, yeah. real shocker. <laughs> um, did, do we think it beats Transistor? Um. Anyways, that that joke didn't land. Uh, what were you expecting <laughs> for me to go out? <laughs> you know, I mean, it was fine. I, I assume you, you don't were get over yourself. No, uh, like I at least assumed there was going to be some sort of response. I wasn't looking for like uproarious laughter, but just like a. Uh, like a oh we'll see or like someone playing off of it N- nope nothing it's okay it happens sometimes um 
but we're we're not going to do the normal pleasantries of today. We're not going to do what we've been playing. We're not going to have various. We're topics. not going to hold just, your hands, all right. We're just going to go into our top tens. The last thing of note that I want to say though is that I said last episode that we were going to be switching to a bi-weekly cadence. I believe that will be the case starting after the release of this episode, um, where there will be one week apart between these episodes that we're, we've released. But um, after this episode, anticipate bi-weekly. All right, so without further ado, let's get into these top tens and how we came to discover them. I actually want to uh, do kind of a preamble here to our top tens and ask you guys like well what was your process for putting this together did you have any issues uh were you locked in a dark room did you take any drugs peter i'm very curious i've worked on it over the course of a few months i first made this list sometime late last year out of just my own curiosity and then once we got close to episode 100 i recently just sat down went through it started removing some games, adding on others, thinking back to old consoles I've played, what games of those were the highlights of mine. There were some games that, you know, mean a lot to me, and I had decided if they meant, like, well, oh, man, this game means so much to me, it's so nostalgic, but is it, like, top 10 quality still, or is it just a really nostalgic game I care about? And I'm happy with where I've come down on this, I think. I, I can live with my choices. Mark, what about you? What was your process like? Um, so I knew going into this, I, like, I've known what some of my favorite games are, absolutely. And just kind of was like spitballing them against the wall, just being like, okay, this is going to be on here, this is going to be on here. And I had like eight games planned out. Like, all right, I know they're in here. I don't know how I rank them. Uh, and just had them in a note, like a note document on my phone. And every now and then I'd open it up in case a game came to mind. Like, oh, this could be one of the last two and would just throw it in there go back to it later and over like a week i want to say just like i was able to pick the two i needed to go alongside the eight and then ranking them uh is where i would go back and just look at it a couple days and be like does this still look right and i'd be like i don't feel like this is that high and then go lower a little bit than the next day or a couple days later look at it again be like does this still feel right until eventually after like a couple days of looking at it i still felt like it looked right and that's that's how this came to be I, uh, so I used this tool, I believe I've mentioned it on the show before. It's called backlogged.com. There's, there's no E D it's just D. So B A C K L O G G D.com. If anyone's interested. And it's just one of those websites where you can make lists of games and you can track what you're playing and stuff like that. And a long time ago, I went through year by year and basically just added every game that I can remember playing to my account. So I systematically went through all of those games I added. I then added them to a potential top 10 list. Anything that I thought with it was like legitimately eligible. And ever since then, I, I mean, I have like, I have exactly 24 games in this list actually. And that top 10 I've been, I've been changing the order up until like 10 minutes ago. I I have not officially, I, I actually think I like where it's at right now, but 
I can look away for two seconds, look back at this thing, and think, uh, I, I don't know about that. Um, Peter hit out a really good point, though, where these top ten lists, they, they carry a lot of weight to them because we are weighing the, like, what do I actually think is great and what is just very nostalgic for me? And Mark, I'm curious if you have any separation of those two ideas and if you would be able to like determine your list is mostly nostalgia or mostly just games you think are amazing. It's definitely both. I definitely prioritize like nostalgia is on the bottom. Uh, games I think are great and really sat with me are above them. And then games that do both uh, are mixed throughout. And I don't, I, that's, that was really my formula to it. Peter, oh, what was that thought process like for you? Started off nostalgia, then quality comes in, and I decided that, you know, the, big, the list would be a mix of both, but I would say quality quality usually beat out nostalgia for me i think that's true for me as well although i will say the games that i moved around on the list a lot because i wasn't confident in them are the games that like i played in the last five years and i think that they should be on this list but i'm nowhere near as confident in them because i haven't had 15 years of being able to think about it. Um, so that that's definitely a lot of, you'll notice in my top 10, a lot of the, uh, I guess, bottom of the list, like the 10 through 7 range, is where I gravitated towards, like, these are the newer releases that I don't, I don't feel quite as confident in, but I think they should be here. Um, do you, do you guys have any preamble questions? I can open up the floor here or do you just want to, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to dive into, um, we had no discussion of how order would be determined. Is, is someone really just like chomping at the bit to get to it? Um, I want Peter to go first. We finally agree on something. Actually. Maybe Owen should go first. No, I don't want to go first. I'm, Peter can I'm go kidding. first. <laughs> Are you guys nervous? Uh, uh, we're putting a lot of ourselves out there with this one. This isn't I mean, this just is, like this... a list, Peter. This yeah. is like stuff we identify with. This, this is a, will, like... We are a gaming podcast, and this list will define us. But to start off, my number 10 is a game we all know very well. Oh, here it is. A game where... You have to fight off the alien scum. And you have to stop Advent in their tracks because my number 10 is XCOM 2. Interesting. Yes. Now, now I knew it would be here, but I uh, I actually thought it might work its way up a little higher. Maybe not top five, but mm-hmm. I'm surprised that was, it's number 10. I thought this was going to be a number four or number six pick. Somewhere between there. Uh, I did. After I... I've, I do. I adore XCOM 2 War of the Chosen. I love it so much. It's even it's better than I remembered. It's better than I remembered. Are there faults? Sure. Could the loading times be better? Yeah. Is the difficulty kind of ease up once you've figured out the game? 
Yes, I don't care. The gameplay is so fucking addictive. I love that. One, the game is challenging for many hours that it is. It is a game, like, I respect. It's the type of difficulty that I enjoy how hard it is. Like, Metroid Dread was another game where it's just, like, I can get the points where it's, like, beat your dick in the paste hard, but I'm like, I'm, I... I can't imagine playing this game in any other way. XCOM 2 is also a game that I like to pat myself on the back because there is so much to do. There are so many, like, just little features you have to attend to, whether it be the relay towers, like, whatever you're building within the science lab, like, building out, excavating the base. There's so many things you have to juggle, and normally with games that scares the shit out of me, and I go, no, 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 no. But for some reason, XCOM 2 just has all of the all of these different aspects to it as a game, Yet, and they make me love it even more. They make me want to play more. Whenever I'm doing an XCOM 2 playthrough and, I, and I'm finished for the day and I'm out for a walk, hanging out with friends, out at work, whatever it is, I'm thinking about, okay, these are the kind of missions I want to go to next. I want to expand into North America. I need to start getting there. I need to go after the Warlock. He's really starting to mess me up with via Dark Offense. Uh, I need to start that science project next. And after I'll do that science project. And I just love it. Now, it doesn't really have notable characters or a story and that's not that's probably why it's number 10 because while the gameplay is te genuinely 10 out of 10 for me and i just love the look of the game i love the designs of the aliens i love the designs you can give your soldiers i love how i love how deep the customization is for the soldiers as well no i don't walk away going man that's a character i would get like a figurine of or i go back to youtube and watch clips of or a story moment or story beat i think about it's not there but my god, XCOM 2 is the best strategy game I've ever played, and strategy games mean very much to me. They're one of my favorite genres, and after replaying it, I am reminded how much I fucking love XCOM 2. So you're saying no other strategy game is going to be higher than XCOM 2. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Well. I, th I thought that would be an interesting question to ask, and, and you got to it. Um, interesting. Interesting. I, I mean, no, I, none of us are surprised by this pick because uh, you heavily teased it. And looking at my list, I definitely haven't been able to like get you guys to play one of one of my top ten. Have have you? Some of you at least played a couple of games on my top ten, sure. But I haven't been able to like expose you guys to them mark do you do you have any uh games on your top 10 that have had the opportunity to be exposed to us uh i believe a couple of them i mean definitely one arguably two def more than more than two probably there's a, there's a good chunk i'd say i've had a few i won't give any specific numbers but i've had a few okay uh, Mark, do you want to go next? I do, Owen. But before I do that, this may be a song. Here's a word from our sponsor. From this game. Not just our sponsor, but maybe a little song I want to play going into this one. All right. I am about to play the music from Mark's number 10. Was not expecting this. 
Some people might recognize this song, you know, an oldie right here. Start up the game very quickly, you know, you're trying to pick a save file and they just start with this banger and get to it really quick. I mean, before this, they show you the face of a very iconic character, Super Mario. You get to little play around with his cheeks, move his nose around. Uh, this is Mario 64. My number 10, uh, definitely ranking lower because like I can go back to play 64 and like I'm not like super in love with it. It's, this is definitely hyper fueled in nostalgia. Like some of my earliest game memories come from Mario 64, uh, setting up a lot of what I like about games. Um, the first game I feel like I really got super immersed into. So like it's a game that just kind of holds a really special place uh, in my heart, but I can't rank it any higher uh, because it is still kind of janky. Uh, I'm not like super excited to play it, but it just is a feel-good game to kind of go back to it. Um, I I know Peter, you've played a little Mario 64, right? Just recently. Well, I've played the just... game before, and then recently I played it again. When was the last I've time? I've only played a little bit, for the record. I, I've never beaten Mario 64. It's it's a game like other Mario games are definitely built on it, and I like more. Yes. But this one uh, had some really cool worlds. Uh, just just something at the time there was really nothing like it. Uh, growing up, so it really kind of set the idea of what games were for me. Uh, very special in that sense. This is like we were talking before: nostalgia versus quality. There's quality here, but this is like a hyper fueled on nostalgia. Like I just remember having to rent this game over and over again. Uh, to try to keep playing it, to try to beat it, just from Hollywood Video, until one day I eventually got it as a gift. And it was a pretty big deal. Super in love with this game. Filled with very warm feelings just talking about it all. I think one thing uh, that's almost underrated about Super Mario 64 at this point, because it's an older game and people feel the need that they need to acknowledge the jankiness, what they forget or don't, maybe they don't even realize because they haven't been exposed to it. But the world of Mario 64 speedruns is a magical world. Oh, it's insane. The... One of my favorite things, I have to cut you off, but to get into that, I have a, there's one of my favorite streamers. I'm big in the Smash scene. Whenever there's a set of Sonic yep. the Hedgehog <laughs> on screen, because Sonic the Hedgehog mains and high level are notorious for just trying to like get a stock and like stall out the game and let it go to time. He will, while the set is happening, with this player is playing, he will try to do a speed run of Super Mario 64 before the set ends. In spite of... And he's gotten really close sometimes. He's almost gotten it. (laughs) That's insane. Uh, Now, that might not be... Like, I've never tried super uh, speed running Mario 64, and I... Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But I think there is a little bit of an element at least to some of the games that I picked for my top 10, where it's like the cultures around them, even if I wasn't a direct participant, like if I watched content relating to them and I fell in love with certain aspects of uh, of that stuff, it, it contributed towards my top 10 of all time because it, it feels a little more communal. It often exposes really cool elements of a game. I think Super Mario 64 is a, perp- a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. You guys know what the BLJ is, right? I don't. It is a key technique that's used in Mario 64 speedruns. It's just 
do using the the long jump, but you kind of like aim it backwards, and you always like line up against a staircase. Excuse me, line up against a staircase, and just kind of get like stuck in the ground a little bit, and then it just launches you backwards, and that's how you just skip through a whole bunch of walls. Very iconic uh, speed run tactic in that game, where I just will always yell at people, "Do the BLJ, do the BLJ," even if you're not playing Mario 64. If they're trying to go fast, it's that's probably the biggest one for me. Iconic BLJ strat. Um. But uh, back to what with me and Mario 64. This isn't my first game, but it, to an, to a certain level, it is uh, just the first game that I like fell deeply in love with. Uh, so that that's why it sits at number ten and not higher than this one. Owen, oh, I think it's time for your number ten. All right, my number ten. This is the only one where I'm I'm cheating a little bit. Uh, that's a great way to start. Well, you'll you'll see what I mean in a minute. Because the entire Hitman trilogy has been uh, has been turned into the world of assassination and you just download it as one. And that's what the game feels like. It feels like it's all one game. And for that number 10 is Hitman World of Assassination for me. Now, so- so which is Hitman is this for those who aren't super familiar with the Hitman series? The, this is this is the combination of one through three, which is why it's uh-huh. cheating. Okay. Because it's technically a games as a service. They're all on one platform. You download the World of Assassination and you have all three games. And I think I wouldn't blame someone for being mad at me for doing this. Peter, are you mad? Furious. Steam out the ears. Well, I don't blame you. But that's how these games are structured. The The difficulty of Hitman 3 Game of the Year conversations in 2021 wasn't because it was difficult to justify that Hitman 3 was a great game. It was difficult to justify it being different than the other ones. And it's because they just, they found a formula with these games and every single one of the trilogy was just further building upon that formula and making it better. And it's why when you put it all in one package and it's uh, literally, you play it as one package, it works so perfectly. They even down to the fact that for Hitman one and two they they upgraded those to be Hitman three graphics and it's all modernized and everything works seamlessly. And the reason it's on my list here is because this is the best collection of stealth action gameplay levels ever created. And I love stealth games. Love, love, love stealth games. And this is kind of like similar to XCOM 2 for Peter. Where this is simply the best representation of a gameplay format that I love. There's no story. There's nothing more to glean from this game beyond mastering these levels getting in some intense situations, getting in some 
funny situations. There's a lot of humor in the Hitman games. Uh, this is a game with the added element of there's plenty of Hitman content out there you can watch. Uh, as far as its service capabilities go, I mean, I've, I've talked about this year. They added their freelancer mode, which is just remixing all the levels and making you do a bunch of different things in them. They created such great sandboxes in this game that have kept me coming back since the first one came out, I want to say in 2016. Let me double check that. So the first of this trilogy came out in 2016 and I've been playing this game since then. Uh, that's seven years and I anticipate playing it more. I've played it a ton this year already. I would feel awful if I didn't represent this trilogy on my list. It's definitely one of the best gameplay games on my entire list. Um, it gets hurt by the fact that it doesn't have a story, but that's okay as long as the gameplay is great. Uh, and full disclosure, this is one that has... I mean, it's been all the way around my list. I've been moving it around a ton, and I ultimately settled on it being at number 10 because having it be the full trilogy swept up into one, I, I felt like that was cheating a little bit, so it's like, okay, number 10. You can stay there. You're well-respected. I'm glad you're with me. Hitman, World of Assassination. Any any shock, surprise, any reaction? I, I mean, again, uh, uh, there will be games where I'm like, huh, that's interesting. But if you want shock, you're going to have to earn shock. All right. Like, I'm not I'm not just going to do like the wow face for the YouTube thumbnail and you have to earn it. I was surprised. I didn't think Hitman was top 10 material for you whatsoever. He's talked about it a lot, so I could I could see it making. I, I mean, I can see it. I just wasn't going. I wouldn't have put a. a Single dollar on it, though. Wow, not a single dollar. No. Interesting. Um, okay. Well, that's my number 10. Read it and weep. Peter, give us a nine. So, as we get older, we start looking back at our past selves and think, why did you say that? Why did you do that? Or why were you a fan of that? Oh, man. You really start to think about, like, man, why was I doing wasting my time on that? But some some skeletons stay with us forever, no matter how much we try to ignore them, act like they were never there. And that's why my number nine is Kingdom Hearts 2. Okay. Let me, as everyone knows, I used to be a massive Kingdom Hearts fan. I'm not anymore. I don't think I will play Kingdom Hearts 4 the rest of any of the game of the series. It's, it's something that's behind me. That being said, Kingdom Hearts 2 is a game that I know... I So I, I think I could play Kingdom Hearts 2 with my eyes closed. Truly. Could you now? I, could you not? I could probably... I mean... Of Kingdom course. Hearts 1 and Kingdom Hearts 2, uh, Mark, I think you and I know better than any other video game that exists. I've been trying to get a Kingdom Hearts 2 randomizer to work, but I keep messing up. Where it randomizes every encounter and every boss fight, so you might have to fight Sephiroth at the very beginning of the game. And that's why I'll just 
Kingdom Hearts 2 is a very, is a game that still to this day and for the rest of my life, no matter how much I try to fight it, will always mean a significant amount to me. I love Kingdom Hearts 2 with my entire being. I love that game so much. But it's only 9 because I also realize what's your... Me, Joe, <laughs> and another friend of ours were doing, we're trying to do a playthrough of the whole series. And get through one, it's great. You know, it's, there's, some, there's a couple, like, you know, weird moments with the dialogue. And it's like, oh, that's a weird thing. Or, the, or you get through the platform in Kingdom Hearts 1 and it's fucking atrocious. They shouldn't have even attempted it. Kingdom Hearts 2, the gameplay is so much better. I think the designs of the of the worlds themselves are so much more open. Combat's free-flowing. I I do really like the original incarnation of, uh, incarnation and idea of Organization 13. It goes off the rails. This is the one game where you can actually like the black robes because they're introduced and not used for every other fucking side character that's ever created. And it, that's beside the point. I'm getting three. So I hate the series. <laughs> And we were really, again, just playing it through them for the, like, they had played it before, but us playing t together for the first time, we were getting to certain bosses, some of them are way too easy, but then others are just really fucking fun. The music in the game is, I, this game truly has one of the best soundtracks of any game ever. I'm comfortable in saying that. Getting to replay certain Disney movies that you loved growing up, but they're even getting to revisit certain worlds from the first game that now have their own original stories that aren't taken from the movies. But then, with, again, just a little side story, when I got to Halloween Town, and there's a character that says, well, turn Santa <laughs> Claus and the Santa Heartless, the play the playthrough died that day. The playthrough ended. Uh, we beat that, we beat Halloween Town, but that, we had to pause the game, and I realized in that moment... Game's not great, is it? <laughs> not amazing. It's but holy shit, I love Kingdom Hearts 2. I think I could I could play that game for the rest of my life and I would never get tired of it. Walking through Twilight Town, walking through Hollow Bastion, walking through the world that never was, and I would picture all the like all the dreams I would have for the plot. What's that's gonna happen Kingdom Hearts 3? Oh I'm standing in this location right now, I wonder what's gonna happen to Kingdom Hearts 3. And as you know, and I'm later, I thankfully passed young Peter, didn't understand how significantly disappointed he would be let down by Kingdom Hearts 3. But in that moment, it was everything we wanted it to be. It was perfect. Kingdom Hearts 3 is the best game ever. If walking around Kingdom Hearts 2, I would just daydream about it. But yeah, Kingdom Hearts 2 is my number ninth game. Means the war means very much to me. I love this game. I don't think I could say it's a great game. Or maybe, maybe I could. Maybe, like, at best, it's getting, like, a 7.5 to 8. Somewhere that's still good. But in terms of, like, amazing, fantastic, it is not. It, but Kingdom Hearts 2 means a lot to me. I... Now, Mark, where, where do you fall on this listing for Peter? Are you surprised he included it? Are you not? I'm... I'm 50 50. I, I really couldn't decide this entire time if, if Kingdom Hearts was going to make his list. I was pretty convinced if it wasn't 10, it wasn't on the list. <laughs> that's that's fair criteria, I think. I, I we thought... will get to, I will tell you this. I will tell you this right now. We will get to our honorable mentions. There was another game that came close to taking this spot, and I know you will be shocked to what it was. Good we'll thing we're there. waiting till late to do the honorable mentions, building yeah, up. I know. It's fucking great. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I'm I'm ultimately glad, Peter, that you've included this on your list because I feel like I'd be lying to myself if I didn't. Shunning all positivity of your past, it can't it can't be a good thing. At no, least it's being not able healthy. to embrace the fact that you once truly loved this series and this is the game that you still do love. I think that's good. I don't like Kingdom Hearts 2 that much, but I think that's good. <laughs> I am glad you were able to face yourself, Peter. Look yourself in the eyes and be like, yeah, I do like this game. No, 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 I do. I, I would be lying if I said I didn't. How I still often, love Kingdom Hearts. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, how often do you consider doing a Kingdom Hearts 2 replay? Does it happen at least I once want to a year? Replay, I want to replay 1, 2, Birth by Sleep, and 3. That's what I I really want to. Do you own the collection? No, but I might just buy it. It's, I mean, I think it's on it's on Game Pass. I don't think so. Not anymore. Mm-mm. No, fuck. No, I don't think so. On the but side, the, there's oh, there's been plenty of times I I'll either see like a Wario sixty four sale or I'll see a like a PlayStation sale or something. It's like uh, the all in one. It's it's discounted enough to be worth it, and even though it's not like a number one series like that for me especially number one i i get the itch to replay i one is by far my favorite i think i like it um i mean maybe not technically more than you guys but uh i think amongst our group of friends like i'm one of the only ones that says that one is my favorite um two two that was when sora started putting his hands behind his head and he I, does it in one a bunch. What are you talking he, about? He does do it in one. I it wasn't as noticeable. And two, it it, it became significantly more noticeable. Mm-hmm. Like this is how well this is how well I know these games. I'm thinking of the scenes in one. I'm remembering which scenes he has his hands on his head when he's walking. Mm-hmm. Like that's how many times I've played this fucking game and thought about that game. Sora just doesn't talk as much in one. That's a big thing. I think people to the games. That's to the game's benefit, in my opinion. The the one also to the first game's benefit is that it is. While some people might eye roll at this, I think it's to its advantage is that it's pretty simple. It's just yes, it like is. embrace your friends and go to these Disney worlds. And and destroy the darkness. And destroy the darkness. And that, in in a vacuum for this game, that works. And what 2 promises is a lot more intriguing. But it, it was, when I played 2, it was impossible to put myself in a, in a 2006 mindset or whenever it came out. When did it come out? Do you guys know? 2006, I think, is right. Um, yeah, no, I I couldn't view it in that lens. I by the time I was playing it, like Dream Drop Distance was out, and there's there's a bunch of weird stuff going on. But I was like along for the ride, at least at that point. It was actually Dream Drop Distance where where I dropped off, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm just never catching up on this series. Um, even though I got pretty close now, now that I think about it, like three five eight over two. Dream Drop Distance, Recoded, I will never replay those. I have no interest in doing it. 3 of I of 8 has some great story moments. It does. Great story moments. I never actually played it. I only was ever able to watch the cutscenes. But the ones that I, again, 
the ones that I really like still are one, two, and Birth by Sleep, and then three. It's three is a very important game to me. Like how someone's like, no, I'm not gonna say that. That's too much. <laughs> the kind of arts, hey, but it's just it, it's significant to me for all the wrong reasons. And again, with how much I'd spent th- thinking about it, but yeah, that's that's my number nine. All right, Mark, you're number nine. So I want to take a peek for a song in just a second. But my number nine, I had said before that nostalgia is what fuels or was fueling my lower end of the list, but not this one. This is a pretty modern game, 2019 hit. Uh, great soundtrack, great platformer. Um, Celeste, everybody, number nine. Ooh. It's the kind of game... I think I can confidently say it is my favorite platformer, more so even than Mario 64. Uh, just because it, it's just a game that feels so good. To control the jumps feel good, everything feels super precise. Uh, it's a very difficult game, so at some points not as difficult. Main story is not super difficult, but there's a whole extra layer underneath it where the game just goes 200%. Uh, and even the smallest things you're stuck on, when you die, you respawn super quick. You can kind of just keep jumping in. There's such a momentum of good platforming, just diving in. Even though at times you're beating your head against the wall, uh, it's never, like, super demoralizing. This is a game I've never been, like, furious at for being stuck at for so long. I still haven't beaten the DLC because I'm at one of, like, the final two screens of the game that are just extremely, notoriously difficult. Some of the jumps and mechanics they introduce for this last area is just insane um but it's a it's a kind of game to, if i see like if i'm scrolling through anywhere in social media and i see someone has a celeste clip i'm excited to see it because i just remember like oh my god i remember i can get brought back to when any any screen of this game i remember when i did this at least some of the harder stuff and on top of that the main story of the game the game just also wow has a story too that's not terrible i don't think it's like the most deep but for what the game kind of is about the story just like trying trying again uh, kind of resonates with that. There's a really strong overlap. And above all else, like the, the game developer side of me appreciates this, how all how, how well all of this is kind of wrapped together where the, the main campaign is tricky, tough, but not the most difficult platform you've ever played. There's a lot of extra harder obstacles along the way to get like extra collectibles out of these strawberries. You can grab those and go out of your way to get those. They don't do anything. It's just for the sake of fun platforming and just Wow, congratulations, you did it. And on top of that, each of them, each level in the story has another collectible in it that unlocks the B side of the level, which is a more difficult version of the level that also has an extra, re- not, not, not a remix, but an extra song also playing for it. The soundtrack to this game is incredible. This one really put me on Lenorine uh, out there. I'm, if she puts out anything, I will listen to it because of uh, the Celeste soundtrack. I don't think neither of you guys have played Celeste, right? I no. have played a portion of it i've never beaten it okay did you just not go back into it because you weren't feeling it or just, just it, it, it was more so i actually did really like it and it was just in a phase of like i was trying a bunch of different games and i played a mm-hmm. decent amount of it but uh i wasn't like super serious about beating it or anything i actually struggle with that quite a bit with platformers in general mm-hmm. platformers are the the genre that i like the most that I'm most likely to fall off of. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's because there's a natural sense of repetition there. And once mm-hmm. I feel like I've gotten a decent amount of it, I end up falling off. I, I'm not saying this is a good quality. 
I wish that I finished mm-hmm. more of these games, but I just haven't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know plenty of people who love even just like hard games couldn't get into this because platformers just aren't their thing necessarily. Not that they dislike platformers, but the the repetition of just like going back and forth over some of these screens just can kind of burn some people out, understandably. But I just I just don't think this is a platformer that's come close to me enjoying it as much as this one. I've only ever played it once, but I've when I got stuck in this game, I had to repeat some of these levels so often. Not at the whole levels, just the screen, because checkpoints are so extremely generous, where the platforming is just very, very difficult. It's a great balance. I think... I, I adore um, game. Mechanically and musically, the game is incredible. Um, story-wise, I even like the story... It's it's a classic example of uh, now a lot of people probably didn't hear a near automata conversation last week if they didn't want spoilers, but one thing I brought up in that was there is this tendency with gaming to like take subtext to a whole nother level and just kind of like pretend that there's this whole other story there. And that's my impression with Celeste. Like I've I've watched plenty of of video essays with like people claiming that the story of Celeste like changed their lives, and it's like really the story of a girl getting to the top of the mountain. Like uh, that did it. Uh, and it's it's not like a oh this is bad. It's a people unless I'm really missing something. Um, giving kind of an outsized importance to the story. Um, There's certainly cutscenes in the game, especially later in the game, like lengthier cutscenes. It's, it's definitely there. Then maybe I am missing something. I'm, I'm not saying that there's not a story. I'm, I have more so always gotten the impression that like the, the story that these people talk about isn't entirely there, but maybe I could be wrong could be wrong it's it's just so well put together like it, the music with the story with the platforming all mixes together so perfectly to set the tone of what this game is trying to to accomplish not just from like the narrative perspective but just just the experience of hitting your head against the wall but the game does not want you to give up and the game supporting that which is a big part of what the story is even about. I think Celeste is a great game. I've been meaning to go back to it for years. Um, I own it on Switch, so nothing's really stopping me. Peter, what do you feel about Celeste? I gotta know. It's a game that I really want to play at some point, and I'm sad at the fact that I haven't yet. Really? Yes. I didn't think this is a game on your radar. That's cool to know. That is cool to know. I mean... uh. As much as this has the, like, flowery indie smell around it, mm-hmm. uh, it is just a really great 2D platformer. So I, I see no reason why Peter wouldn't enjoy Celeste, personally. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I would love to hear one day on this podcast, Peter just casually brings up he's playing Celeste, and I will ask him a bunch of questions. All right. It's my number nine. Wow. I don't know what this is. This 
Ratatouille the game? No, it's Cass's theme from Breath of the Wild. And wow! This is one of my uh, latest additions to the list. Um, as far as my my mental like struggle forming my list went, because. I've always kind of written myself off as like I'm just not that much of a Zelda guy, but I'm I'm a Breath of the Wild guy to some extent. And what I had to realize was that ultimately with Breath of the Wild, I've actually played this game like two or three times and I've put a ton of hours into it. More hours than I put most games like something that won't sound that impressive to most people, but it is more impressive for me is that I've put like somewhere in the like 90 to a hundred hour range for breath of the wild. That's not the craziest amount of hours, but that's not how I play video games. I'm not a long hour guy. I'm very often not even a replay guy. Like a lot of these games that are on my top 10 list are games that I have replayed. And that's kind of a moniker to me of like, okay, like this was a game I couldn't kick. Um, And Breath of the Wild is like that. I've been playing it a decent amount in the lead up to Tears of the Kingdom, just remembering how great it is. It's one of those games that I I almost wish I could go back and uh, have this game when I was like 12 and also have this game be on Xbox 360 because if I could play this game while in an Xbox 360 party with friends, I would have played it 10 times at this point. Um. It's just not how my life is structured anymore to be able to do that. But I can't deny it. It's a, it's a game I have played a ton of. It's a game I love. It's a game I feel... Speaking of like the touchy-feely way of talking about games, like I feel the sort of connection that people express with this game when it comes to like feeling connected to the world and being caught up in the like relaxing nature of everything and uh here i'll play a little bit of another song which is just kind of like the field it's called field day that's the name of this song and a lot of people complain about the breath of the wild music but i find it so perfectly serene for what you're doing while playing this game to the point that I like this is the the connection between game and music that really clicks for me um it evokes some sense of relaxation a little bit of like loneliness in there in the music but also just kind of like we're just going about the day I'm just going about the day and we're playing Breath of the Wild. And I like doing that. I like also deciding whenever I'm I'm not in like a I'm actively doing the main quest of this game mode. I turn on Breath of the Wild and 
I very often just kind of pick a location on the map and I go there and I just decide like I'm going to find whatever shrines are here. If someone needs any help from me, I'm going to try and help them. If there's a mountain, I'm going to get to the top of it and see what's there. It's it's a fun like it's a fun pure gameplay experience that if you decide one night you're not doing anything and you're just going to spend two to three hours in an area of Breath of the Wild, you're, you're really going to feel like you got a full experience there. And for that reason, I love this game is my number nine. There was some surprise in the crowd here. Yes, I will admit I was. I did not even know this was on your radar. I wasn't sure if a Zelda game was even going to make it here. I completely blindsided by this. Blindsided. Very happy that it's here. I, I I figured there would be at least some possibility that, uh, or at least some thought that if I were to include any, it would be Breath of the Wild. But I I mean I'm glad to have shocked you all. Mm-hmm. Um. The this is one uh. The the specifically the eight nine ten range for me are the. The softest ones like there are certainly games that I. I could have put in these positions and I would have been happy with them being there. But this is like, this is just my final version of it for, for episode 100. Maybe maybe in episode 200, I'll change it. Not that we would, we would do the exact same topic over again, but uh, yeah, for the time being breath of the wild is here at number nine. Is it time for number eight? Peter. I think it is. It is. And oh, and I've sent you a song for this one. Oh, I see it. So my number eight is a game that means so much. Does it have the greatest gameplay? No. But what it does have is my favorite cast of characters in any game I've ever played. I don't know that is why my number eight is Tales from the Borderlands. It is. This is the funniest game ever written. Ever. There is no game that is funnier than Tales of the Borderlands. You can look, but you won't find it. All right. You just won't. I love this game, and it's crazy to me that it's in top in my top ten because it's it's a point-and-click adventure game. You know, it really doesn't have it has. I can't imagine a game that has as simple of gameplay. But oh my god, the adventure you go on with this with these characters is so fucking memorable. And I love them so much. Each the core there is a core six in this crew. Obviously there are many other characters to interact with, but the core of the cast are six characters. All incredibly well voice acted incredibly well fucking voice acted man i can't get over i know they've done a lot obviously there's some of the biggest voice actors in the history you will find some of troy baker and laura bailey's best work in this game i'm not saying their absolute best but some of their best 
When I beat this game, I was emotional, not because it has this really sad and emotional ending, but because, and it's something that no other game, I felt this for other games, but not as strong as I have with this, that I just felt, I'm sad that this adventure is over. I'm sad that my time with these characters has come to an end, what I would give to spend more time with them. It felt like... I was it. I think I said this to someone once. I beat the game. If I this game had the energy of like a TV fourteen Saturday morning cartoon to me, and that is so unique. And no other game has given me that feeling. But this entire time I was playing through this game, it's just like, man, I hope these characters have their own their own mission. I hope to see these characters interact more. I would have every. I would talk to every single NPC. I would never avoid a conversation because the writing was so good. Every, like, just every second I went into it deserved to be heard. It's also a Telltale game, so, you know, there's some engine issues. We can't ignore that. You know, that's one of the reasons why that company, may they rest in peace, went under. There are some technical problems. But, oh my god, I didn't care. Is it just a point-and-click adventure game? Yes, I didn't. I don't give a shit, man. The characters are so fucking lovable and while there are other games that are coming on this list that have other cast of characters that mean a lot to me this is my number one of all characters and all games i've played i love many other individuals i love many other you know casts but this is my favorite i fucking love tales from the borderlands so much and that is why it's my number eight it's tough for me to rank my favorite telltale game because depending on the day whichever feeling like i'm more uh, open to, I guess, where Walking Dead tongues on your heartstrings. I think Wolf Among Us is just so interesting and aesthetically cool. Uh, and then Tales from the Borderlands is just so very funny. I could go either way with which one is my favorite, depending on which, which, which of those attributes I value more on a given day. I love all three of them. I, I Yeah, I, wa- I do want to admit that you're right. I do love Walking Dead and Wolf Among Us as well. They're both also fantastic but it's just how it and it's not even like tales form of comedy isn't like a nihilistic comedy where it's like every like everything sucks you don't care about like it's fun you're laughing with the characters when they're laughing and you're laughing at the characters when they're not laughing but it doesn't feel like to the game's detriment or like isn't this thing fucking stupid it's just naturally comedic scenarios with naturally funny characters who aren't always trying to be funny. You just enjoy seeing them exist in the in the world that they found themselves in. This is not a game I've played. Um, and as far as my, my reaction to it being in your top 10, it's definitely not a surprise, but it also wasn't the ones I was like thinking about for you coming into this list. Um, but yeah, you've, you've talked plenty about this game and, uh, it is a shame what happened to it with, with Borderlands three. We don't and, talk about that. And also I assume whatever the new version of it can't possibly be that good. Have you looked into that? No. Why would I, I uh, would never, I, I would never look into that game. You know, I'm, I'm glad cause you're someone you're kind of a rabbit hole person. At least I think of you this way. I am. In that, like, it wouldn't shock me if there was the one night, like, 
four months ago where you you randomly looked into everything that happened into the new tales from the borderlands but I, i'm i'm glad that you've kept it pure no it's by it's from gearbox uh, and after seeing what they just did with two of the six and three it's like well if they touch anyone else from this game it will be terrible so fuck gearbox fuck them i want i don't want to see anything from that game no interest whatsoever all right so it's time for mark gorski's Number eight. Uh, we're staying in the indie realm for this one. Again, we've talked about plenty on the podcast before. Um, again, not a nostalgic game, but it's just a game I really respect for how ambitious it is. A game I love for how it's message, and a game that's, that there's nothing else like this game. Um, if you haven't guessed by now, it's Outer Wilds. Uh, a game I'm going to just really spoil this time. I've avoided it before, but to really talk about like why I love this game, why it's my number eight, I can't do it without spoiling it. I'll, so I, uh, I'll try to remember a, a time code for this one. If anyone's interested in avoiding Outer Wild spoiler, look in the description. Time code will be included there. Uh, the best way people say to experience this game is to go into it blind, but I've, I've ripping off all the mandates here and like the core of this game is that it is a time game. We have 22 minutes to explore the solar system, but in 22 minutes there's a supernova the sun explodes, you reset to the beginning. Um, what you think the game is about just going off and exploring, it then turns into, okay, I gotta figure out why the sun is exploding out of nowhere, and all the planets you're going to explore are some very creative and cool places to explore one that's just this ravaging ocean with these whirlpools and tornadoes one that is this planet that has been eaten from the inside out and you have to just explore through it where these giant monsters will swallow you whole uh, all of these are amazing places to explore in your first time but just ultimately boiling down to figure out why the sun is exploding you you feel like you're on a lead for the the whole game as to why it is happening you've almost got it and right at the pivotal moment like right before the pivotal moment when you're about to do something about it you find out there's nothing causing this it's just this is the last couple of moments in the solar system where the sun is just going to explode someone an ancient race a long time ago could have done something about it they weren't able to and you just realize damn this is just the end of the solar system but you're also exploring another avenue throughout all of this of just like the center core of this universe. So you just kind of spend the last moments, you find a way how to get there through all this very cryptic exploring, all of which is not, is like the least linear game I think it maybe ever played of just the only thing pushing you forward is your own intuition, your own intrigue of what is going on. Because all of it is so very well hidden. All of it is just so baked into this small solar system and then just the final moments of this game are just kind of going to the core of this universe while your solar system just kind of explodes and in this really trippy beautiful place that ultimately tears you apart uh it's just something i thought was really really impactful just how the game starts at this really a beautiful idea of getting out there and exploring the world out there, but just also making you feel so small about how in the grand scheme of things, just our place in the solar system is just so 
so minuscule and how things can just change in the, the blink of an eye and to just appreciate uh, some of the smaller things out there. Um, it's there's I, I mentioned before, there's really just nothing like this. I love very interesting narrative games. Um, and I, I, I doubt there'll be another thing like this. I'm also a big fan of time loop games, games where you're just going to get really, really familiar with the flow of it. Really familiar with all the characters, albeit there aren't too many. Very familiar with uh, the places you have to constantly go back to. And this game has created a really extremely interesting couple of planets you get to go through with a really interesting mystery uh, with a real banger conclusion. And on top of that, uh, reoccurring theme with a lot of the games I'm picking is that the soundtracks are all top tier. And a lot of the songs in here aren't just good songs, but are very special to certain moments in the game. Uh, this is the main theme we're listening to right now. I almost picked a couple others. One that's uh, one that only plays like at the very end of the time loop where you know the sun's about to explode. So that that one was actually Travelers, which is a, a version of the main theme. A lot of it uh-huh. is a version of the main theme. It's true. That is true. Where, did you almost pick 14.3 billion years? Not 14.3 uh, billion years. I forget the name of it. Um, end of Times is what I almost picked. Oh, I know End of Times. I know End of yeah. Times song that just plays as the sun's about to explode when you're playing the game if you hear the song you understand oh shit wherever you are you're about to hear the sun explode and in real time you can just no matter where you are in the the in the solar system you can just look at the sun and just it is exploding destroying everything and it just comes for you and then just smacks you in the face and then rewind the very scary the first time it happens honestly brilliance of end of times is how it represents the moment and it happens pretty much in every run that you experience that this was always my experience playing the game of like you hear that music start and you just get like a oh no like i'm not done yet feeling <laughs> like you're I, not I'm still yeah. <laughs> doing this um which isn't annoying at all it's, it's almost like the the end of a tv episode when like the credits hit when you're not expecting it it's like oh fuck like mm-hmm. i gotta wait a whole week now only you don't have to wait a whole week in outer wilds you can just start up a whole new loop but uh mm-hmm. i just love how it's able to kind of like represent that in your playthrough mm-hmm. like it's it's cool that there's also just really tiny things in there. Like you can figure out why you're going through the time loop. You can get yourself out of the time loop, die in game, and the game will take you back to the title screen and be like, "Well, game loops over. You got out of it, and you didn't go to the end of the game, so you just die." And a big thing about that is to finish the game, you have to get to one specific planet, find an object. When you pick up the object, a very great song only plays that when you pick it up because the only way you have this object is you figured out what the golden path is. You know how to beat the game, and it's this really triumphant song. Uh has the main theme in it, of course. One of like t- the best moments of this game is just getting the song to play as you're trekking through the solar system. You've kind of mastered it. You know all the spots you kind of go to while the song is playing. And while this is happening, there's an extra level of stress being that to do this, you have to disable the time loop. So it's just like, oh, 
I will get a game over in a game I could never get a game over before all of a sudden. The game doesn't warn you that. You just kind of put that together from just playing it. The game is just has so much integrated in it, so much you can kind of learn about it, and so much it trusts that you've learned how the game works and narratively, lore-wise, what is kind of going on underground, like underneath the surface. <laughs> that there, it's it's just such an intimate experience. I I love what it's about. I love the ideas it is. I love how much it trusts people to kind of figure out and play the entirety of this game, and that is why I put it at eight. So, Peter, you're not shocked by this at all, correct? Okay, there it is. Full disclosure, the second he said he was talking all spoilers, I took out my earbuds because... Wow. I adore the song that you... Like, the, the main theme of Outer Wilds. That song speaks to me on a spiritual level. It moves me. I don't know what it is about that song. But I love it so much that I'm going to play this game. I will not say if I will beat it. But I'm going to try. Because I love that song so fucking much. I, I'm very curious to see you try. And not to discourage you by any means. But if there is a list of games of like most not like sure, anti-Peter games. I can only play it for 20 minutes and they'll be done. I'm not. I think that is a high possibility. But I at least want to try out of my love for that song. So it's just the. Go ahead. Well, I I had a very similar experience. I have played the game, and I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, the. I think. Outer Wilds is my not only my favorite gaming soundtrack ever, it is like a seminal album for me. I I mm-hmm. listen to the full soundtrack frequently. Um and it was the music that was the thing that got me over the edge to finally play it. Uh P- Peter, you you just describing how it makes you feel like Senna Chill down my spine because yeah, I, like that's it. that's the kind of music it is it's like a it just really cuts deep into you it <laughs> and makes moves me, something around it makes me happy that i'm alive when i hear that song yeah and i i mean like not to get too intimate into our personal lives but like i know we've had uh moments at our our annual camping trip where we've like listened to that song at night that is one of my favorite moments of my life it's incredible it's incredible when we were listening to this the outer wild soundtrack we're watching the stars in the middle of night at camp was one of my favorite moments of my life i i don't think it can be overstated how great this soundtrack is um and it motivated me to play the game i also really liked the game i think it's maybe my my favorite space game i've ever played um i think a lot of people would maybe put like mass effect on that list maybe uh i just think it does a really good job of like there's not too much to take in flying is fun and exploring each planet is fun and and getting fucked up at each planet is fun um and discovering things in each planet is fun 
Now, as far as it goes for, for Peter's potential playthrough of this game, the only thing, the only prerequisite I would want you to hit playing through it, um, and honestly, I, I don't even care if you used a walkthrough for points at all either, but uh, I would just want you to see each planet. Just yeah. see it. Just see what's going on there. Even if it's not like uh, something you see to the end, there's only like five planets you can get across the surface of each one in in one loop if you wanted to. I mean, there's a lot of secrets to it, but uh, I I, th- I think that would be the thing that qualifies you for like, yes, you, you've had an Outer Wilds experience because you've seen each planet. I would be um, careful looking at walkthroughs, though, because if you look too closely at them, you'll be able to... You can just... If you know what you're doing, you could just beat the game in seven minutes. Like, well, you know where the hot spots are. So now, like that's... now I I didn't shy away from walkthroughs when I played it, um, but I took it in the the linear way the game is intended. Of like, you start around this point, um, and there's a bunch of puzzles you have to solve around the way. Like, I never got close to finding the seven-minute playthrough of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so so using a walkthrough is viable. It, it typically won't spoil it for you to that extent. Um, but yeah, great game. I'm not surprised it's on your top ten at all. Uh, I have a whole video on, on basically why it's not going to be on my top ten. Okay. Um, that may have been the game I was referencing before. Ah, so, okay. So one of your friends thought I was going to have Outer Worlds. I mean, it's fair. It's fair. Um, again, I, I, one thing I don't love about my video on it is that it almost paints me in opposition to the game, which I'm not at all. It, it, it only painted me in opposition. I only wanted to be painted in opposition to the people that are like, it changed my life because it didn't change my life. But the soundtrack comes close sometimes. Mm-hmm. Soundtrack is incredible. All right. Is it my turn? Yes, it is. I believe so. So my number eight is the number one example of recency bias. But I can't fight it. It's a game I think about all the time. I love it mechanically so much. Oh, shit. It's the best game on the PS5. It's Returnal. Wow, okay. For a second, I thought... No song being played. Oh, it shows how much you like that game. Yeah, no, the I wouldn't call the music like the a top-tier thing for our, the game. It's 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 a good environmental piece, but I'm not, I'm not throwing Returnal songs in any of my playlists. Um... I this is a combination of a few things. Hit me at the right mood. When I played Returnal, I was really in the mood for like a kinetic action shooter akin to to a Doom. Uh Returnal fulfills that. I think Returnal uh is very comparable to the modern Doom games when it comes to its shooter mechanics, the only difference being that it's uh, third person. It also hit me around the time I I was in the middle of my difficulty 
bug of like, oh, I want to play Returnal, I want to play Dark Souls, I want to play From Software. Like, there were a lot of things that lined up, including this podcast. This podcast is a big reason why um, Returnal is so impactful for me because before 2021 i think we might have had like a one 2020 episode if that uh we we might have only been doing test episodes by then but 2021 was the first year of us taking this seriously trying to do it every week really paying attention to the games that we're playing this was my favorite game from 2021 uh a lot of people call 2021 a down year in gaming. I don't because I found I a lot either. to love. Um, and I just can't deny the role that doing this podcast played in, in how much I love Returnal. And I, I love it for all the reasons, including the vaguer kind of artistic story that goes along with its action gameplay, all the environments uh, I don't love all of the weapons, but the weapons I loved, I did love. Um, I can't deny that like a multiplying factor for it is the fact that I was able to come on here and evangelize it to you guys and kind of discover that like, oh, I, I have these genuine opinions about this game, about how I, I genuinely think it's the best game on PS5. And it adds to the fact that I don't feel like there are many other people saying that. And it's it's kind of like a corner I've been able to foster. I'm the Returnal guy on this pod. I like being the Returnal guy on this pod. I love this game. And it's my number eight of all time. I am trying to find a way to play it. I have a friend of mine. I haven't pitched to them. I wanted Because there's the co-op version of Returnal now. I want to pitch playing Returnal with them. Uh, but first, we have to finish Grounded, a game we've been playing for a very, very long finish time. Finish Grounded? Yes. <laughs> Can't Grounded be like a we-had-our-grounded-experience type of game? We're so close to being done. We have like two things left to do. And we have put so much effort into upgrading our gear to the highest tier, like building our base and reinforcing it after all of the fucking bees that have attacked our base and set us back days we've just put too much sweat and tears into it to say ah it was the game we played it's like no we're we're right around the corner we're gonna finish it it's just once fire emblem engaged came out i disappeared from the face of the planet putting 170 hours into it and it kind of killed our grounded run for a while but maybe maybe we'll finish that and then i can be like hey is this returnal game you wanna you wanna hop onto that we'll see i it's a game i definitely i still want to try at this point just because of a lot of the praise you've given it a lot of the praise other people have given it and a game that does seem like fun i watched uh, a roommate at the time play some of the boss fights and they looked very fun i didn't understand all the mechanics and all the weapons but i was just looking at it being like damn this there's a good time in this game so it's something i'll definitely be playing I hope you do. I, w- I want more Returnal lovers in the world. Um, I mean, it, it it's one of those games that there's like occasionally a new story about like, oh, well, I loved this game, but it didn't sell at all. Um, and, you know, sometimes it shakes out like that. But I hope that it gets its due. I hope that 
PlayStation doesn't suck Housemark dry of all of their creativity. Um, because Returnal is incredible. Any any surprise here? Are you guys surprised that Returnal made it to my top ten? I'm learning. Oh, well. I'm realizing. I have no idea. Mark, I have a pretty good idea of what the rest of this is going to look like. You, I have no idea. I the, can think of one or two games for you. Other than that, you've been you keep surprising me. I have no idea what your list is going to be. The most shocking game will be my number seven. I'm I'm fairly convinced. Well, okay, that one's not shocking because you told us <laughs> to be prepared well, to be shocked. I mean, it's number seven. It's not like it's number one, two, three, or four. It's it's seven, and yeah, it's no, going to be it, surprising. It, it'll just be shocking that this game is on my list. I think. Well, not Owen. I I need you to know. I will not be as shocked now as I could have been. Okay. Because now I'm getting ready to be shocked. No, because because it's it's not something that resonates with you. It'll be like a. Uh, a, a shock that this is even a game that I would have considered for my top 10. Mark, why is he like trying to take away all of our anticipation for this thing that is apparently I mean, so shocking? And that's, see, Peter, you're going to hate what I'm about to say because I'm about to disagree with you. I think what? he's building the anticipation. Because <laughs> <laughs> now I'm looking forward to it, like, oh, what's it going to be? It has the potential to maybe not stick the landing. Maybe it will stick the landing, but you know, he has my attention. I'm excited. Well, my number seven is not shocking. It's not surprising. But it deserves to be my number seven. Oh, and I sent you a song. Thank you. No one should be shocked that this game's here. One of the best games PlayStation's ever made. After having re-watched the recent season of it, you know, when it was made to TV, it just really hit home how much I love The Last of Us Part 1. Where do I even begin? Troy Baker, Ashley Johnson, their best performances in their career. Joel and Ellie are fantastic characters. The journey you go on with them is unforgettable. The look of the game is my favorite post-apocalyptic look I've ever seen. The game plays great, runs great, looks great. I love how Pouch's dark it's willing to get, unlike, you know, it's willing to get very dark, but I don't feel like you drown in it like you do in a certain other game that comes later on, but that's for another time. This time we're just here to talk about The Last of Us Part 1. I'll never forget when it first came out when it was first announced. I was much younger, and I was so upset because like, what? Where's Jack? I thought that they were done with or being they, you know, with Uncharted. Where is my Jack Four? I want Jack Four. And then one day, Mark went to spend the night at a friend's house. Today it came out, but he bought it and left the copy there, and he wasn't gonna start it yet. And I wasn't I wasn't hanging out with anyone that night. I wasn't doing anything, so I saw that. You know, Mark at the PS3 set up, and I saw that The Last of Us was there, and I thought to myself, eh, it's Naughty Dog, I'll give it a try. And I, I played it for 30 minutes, played it for an hour, and I thought it was really good. And then I looked up, and I saw the sun was out. And I looked, and I saw that I had just put eight hours into this game and had not even realized it. That's how not, I, that I knew, oh, this game is, this game is amazing. And I have very few of those sorts of memories. And with other games. The Last of Us Part 1 is when I feel like PlayStation really like pointed at the sky and said, no, we're better than most. 
we're better than all of you. We can do more. We can achieve more than what most of you are capable of. The Last of Us 1 is PlayStation at their best. Almost their best. We might, we'll see. Almost their best. Jack 1 through 3 is still there, Peter. Jack 1 through 3 are great. Like it. I love the original Sly Coopers. I love Jack 1 through 3. I love the original Ratchets. Again, you know me. Cartoony platformers, I love them. And I do like Uncharted 2 a lot. I do think Uncharted 2 is a great game. But at that point, PlayStation, it's just, you know what? These are really good. These are really good. Then The Last of Us 1 comes out and you go, whoa. This is next level shit. I love The Last of Us Part 1. It will never not be in my top 10. If it, if if The Last of Us Part 1 never leaves my top 10, then my god, I play, I'll have played some amazing games in the future. But for now, Last of Us Part 1 is my number 7. I, I think there's a few of us in our group of friends that remember getting well, a famous text from you at like 6 a.m. the following morning of when it came out just saying the last was pretty good yeah <laughs> yep that's what i yeah that was a pretty good game uh, that's what i knew that morning like hey, you know this isn't this ain't half bad um so you're, so you're saying peter if a bunch of games come out but there's just it only has to be four games you like more than the last of us to make it fall off of your top 10 list that's how much I love The Last of Us. One is what I'm saying. Okay. If I love, if there are four more games that come out that I love even more than The Last of Us, I'm excited for the future of gaming. Okay. So the big leap between seven and eight is very much a real thing. You love Last of Us that much more than Tales from the Borderlands. Okay. I don't know why you have to put my other games down like that. I'm not I mean, you do put it down. List, you know, you did it yourself. But... I'm just, I'm just saying, you're putting it on such a high pedestal. I'm, ve- I'm, I'm glad you like The Last of Us that much. I assume, I can of course, we all just finished the again, show. Again, 8 through 10, they all have, again, XCOM, no story or characters. You know, Kingdom Hearts, it's Kingdom Hearts. Tales of the Borderlands, it's still a point-and-click adventure game. All of those games, as much as I love them, there is there is still that one, I don't want to say glaring, because I feel like that's too negative, but there is still that one noticeable attribute of them where it's like, it holds them back a bit. Whereas, I feel like Last of Us and Here On... It's the full package. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um I I faded the music down quicker than most of the other things because I'm I'm just scared of the fact that there is an HBO show. Uh uh game copyright stuff typically isn't very strict, especially on podcasts, but you know, I was just being cautious there. I've shared this opinion multiple times already but it's worth reiterating here that that song specifically and it's used as the theme for the hbo show i didn't quite realize until episode one how much that song was with me yep um because once it starts playing in the hbo show it's like oh fuck like this is the last of us. That's pretty cool. It's the last of uh-huh. us. It was a very cool moment. I definitely got goosebumps when the song I hit. And so many like political people I follow or like people from all other walks of life who aren't really into gaming talk about how much they've loved that song as the show has been going on. I was like, it's a great song. And just seeing other people from like, uh, there's a couple NFL people I follow, a lot of political people, like other just like 
personalities I enjoy or people I enjoy. And just like seeing how beloved that fucking song is. Like, see, I, yep, it is. Um, and also, I it deserves all the credit. Uh, I guess you can go as far back as Uncharted for what modern PlayStation is, but I really think that the actual game for for the modern PlayStation formula is the last of us and while we've expressed tiredness of that formula i think where it started is is worthy of respecting mm-hmm. um and even down to the fact of as controversial as last of us part two was and is i mean when i when i got part two i i played part two like you played part one because it's like i'd been waiting for this story for so long and I wanted to see what what would come of it. I I felt like I had to rush through it because I had to see through it all. And I I think that's more. I I now I'm of the opinion that Last of Us Part Two is worthy of respect, but I think that's uh, also equally um, representative of uh, the Last of Us Part One and how high quality it was and how surprising it was um with how uh eventful it was some some alexa in this house that i'm in right now has started going off so i'm gonna deal with that but uh mark if you want to go to yours or continue talking about the last of us it's up to you uh only thing i'd say about it is just reiterating stuff uh we've talked about just the hbo show reminded me how much I really did love The Last of Us. The Last of Us is a game where I had a pretty definitive top 10 list um, around like 2013, 2014, and this game sat in my top five very comfortably. Uh, at the time, it was very much worth all the buzz it was getting, and that, it's still a very good game. Good. It's still a very good game. I think, like we've talked about plenty of times, we're a little bit tired of kind of the that first-party cin- like cinematic uh, Sony format. But there's a reason why they've doubled down so hard on it because The Last of Us was just that good and that special. Um, definitely, I think worthy of a lot of the praise it gets. Sometimes I feel like it gets a little overhyped, and that's fine a little bit. But like, I not overhyped where it didn't merit the HBO show. Not overhyped where it's considered one of the best stories in games. I do think. Uh, it's up there. Maybe not one of like the top three best, or where there's certain people out there saying it is the best. It is like miles ahead of everything else. I don't think it's miles ahead of everything else, but it definitely comfortably sits alongside uh, a lot of other strong narrative games, uh, and definitely one of the most influential games of all time. I think is a pretty easy statement to say. Yes, I think that I think goes so, without saying. All right, Mark, if you want to get into your number seven. So my number seven, uh, we're leaning back into the nostalgia side of things. And oh, and I'm sending you another song for this one. I'm ready um, for it. uh, It's a big game. Uh, one of the most recognizable games of all time. Uh, once the song hits, a lot of people are going to know what it is.
If you haven't figured it out by now, it's uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Um, I think easily considered by a lot of people, maybe not so much these days. I still think so. Considered one of the best games, if not the best. I, game I, I think time. these days it is considered. <laughs> you still think so? Okay. Sometimes I wonder as time goes on. Uh, but pretty sure this was my first. Zelda game? I didn't play it on Nintendo 64. I played this game on... GameCube. GameCube, yeah. With the, the Master Collection. The Zelda, yep. And the Zelda, yep. Um... This is... It's around there with Mario 64. It's a game that's really special. A uh, game that's eye-opening, in a sense. Uh, put me on another level where... Maybe the Zelda games don't have like the strongest narratives comparatively, but especially for the time... Uh, a game I fell in love with... Uh, for a lot of story reasons, a lot of the puzzles are really cool. Uh, another world that's really easy to get lost in, and again, soundtrack very killer. A lot of a lot of Zelda things themes come from this game, more so from Link to the Past right before. But I feel like the most iconic versions of a lot of the, the Zelda tunes people will point to Ocarina of Time. Um, this is a game I feel like I don't have too much in-depth to say other than just this is my first Zelda game. This is a game uh, where I I was just so, so, so in love with spending so much time. This is probably one of the games I have played the most. I could not tell you how many times I have replayed this game. Enough so that I mean, if you've been an active listener to the podcast, I could tell you I have played randomizations of this game to all hell because I, I know this game like the back of my hand like peter is saying we could play kingdom hearts 2 with uh our eyes closed i would be much more comfortable playing this game with my eyes closed this is probably the game i have replayed the most out of any other game uh this is definitely a bar of quality is still here but like the, the reason this ranks so high is the nostalgia factor uh it's just a very important game to me but beyond nostalgia why do you think you've played it so often? You've you've played it an exceptional amount, and that can't only be nostalgia. Definitely not. I think to play it nowadays is not the the same. Uh, like back in the day, and I'd say the two thousands is when I was playing it a shit ton. It's not that there wasn't necessarily anything like it, but it was like still the best of the best of any game like this. Does it still compete? I think there's other games that are, uh, especially this kind of format of Zelda, where like this was, this set a trend for even not just like the Zelda series, but a lot of other 3D action adventure puzzly kind of games. Considered one of the best games of all time for a reason. Um, it's, it's just I feel like there aren't too many games. I keep pointing at the times. Uh, where I feel like a world was really realized. It felt like it was really lived in. Uh, and this game, I would, especially nowadays, I wouldn't really consider this open world. But at the time, uh, had a love of what, of what I really liked about the 3D space, uh, 3D worlds. Like the Nintendo 64 was a, a crazy console for a reason. You could look back at the N64. There, there's not a lot of games on that console comparatively, but there's just. A handheld, like a, a handful of flagship titles that are considered some of the best games of all time because they were just such eye-opening experiences. I know, Owen, you played this way later, 
So I don't know if you feel that way when you played the game or like you got like the hype from it. I'm I'm curious if you'd want to add that context here. So I don't, I don't think my context is all that useful because not only did I play it way after it came out and uh, I had already known it to be like one of the highest regarded games of all time. I also played it when I was probably like, I don't know, 14. Um, and all I really knew about it was that it was considered one of the greatest. I had no experience with Zelda. I played it completely wrong. Like I, I fell back on walkthroughs way too easily. I didn't really, I played it so that I could say that I played one of the best games ever, or at least so people were saying now it's actually breath of the wild is the game that makes me realize the importance of Ocarina of Time, and it, it makes me want to go back and experience it correctly because some people have said that Breath of the Wild is not a proper 3D Zelda game, and the people who say that are correct because a proper 3D Zelda game is in the form of Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time was the thing that discovered it, and everything that came after it in 3D Zelda is just a, an iteration upon it for, for all intents and purposes. Except for Breath of the Wild, which is the discovery of what open world Zelda is. Um, it's a fully new format. It is unlike what came before. And that's okay. Um and I didn't, I didn't realize what the thing was with Ocarina of Time until I realized that Zelda is this thing. It's not only represented in, in the timelines. It's also represented in, um, in its genres of how different the styles of Zelda games can be. And I, I think like people for, for 2D Zelda would point to A Link to the Past as being the game that that truly discovered what 2D Zelda is. Of course, the original games were 2D. I would venture to say that those are like entirely different games from uh, from the majority of Zelda. And then A Link to the Past is kind of like a discovery moment. And then Ocarina of Time is kind of a discovery moment. And then Breath of the Wild is a discovery moment. So I, I think the hype for Ocarina of Time is warranted. It's a game that I've been... I've been wishing that I had more time in my life so that I could like rush through a playthrough before Tears of the Kingdom because I've just kind of had the feeling like I want to overdose on Zelda, but I just haven't had the life that allows me to do that. Okay. I mean, we are still 24 days away from I know we are. A mainline self. We're not doing what we've been playing, but I've I've been I've been playing stuff, so mm-hmm. I just don't really have the the ability to. Peter, do you want to explain everything that happened in Ocarina of Time because you've watched Mark play it so many times? Let me tell you, Mark, I've never liked the Gorons either time. You what the fuck? The, the locations <laughs> are just every time you would play it, that'd be like, all right, I can look away. I always like when you'd hang out with the Zoras. 
I always love the music. I always love the theme. Honestly, I also hate it looking at the Dekus. They're just ugly. I understand the what Deku? they're going for. You mean like the Deku Scrubs or the yes, Kokiri the kids? Scrubs. Every okay. The Deku Scrubs. I mostly think of Majora's Mask with that, I think. But, no, I am. Every time, yeah, but just... I liked... I, I those temp, the, My favorite temples watching you play were... the Or like the ones you would do in the time scale. Those, I thought, were the best temples... I don't know if that's a controversial opinion. Those would always have my attention. No, I think that's pretty common. Like, the first three temples are pretty simple. In, the first three are just like... They're, they're, not the, they're not the most, like, challenging. They're creative. And since you go inside a fish, you go inside a tree, you go inside a cave. I love uh, this. I love the idea of the sages. I always have. That's always something that stuck with me. I just feel like it. it's a good... Just I feel like it's a payoff... With each temple you go to, because they're usually characters that... Can we say spoilers for Ocarina of Time? Or Yes, we can. We okay, I wasn't can. sure. <laughs> but I, feel, I have always liked how it's a payoff. It's like always a character you met when you were a kid. And it, I, feel like, I feel like it just gives a lot more like emotional meaning to the area and the temples you've been going through. I don't know why I always thought the medallions looked really cool. Ganon was always great in that game. Although I always, again, as I've always, I've always preferred human Ganondorf than to Ganon himself. I just always find Ganondorf more interesting. The 64 Zeldas have such, their soundtrack is so improved by the sound of the 64. Does that make sense? I think it For does. Most, I think so, yeah. It's, like, a, it's, it's a certain style to it. Exactly. The 64 Zelda games have a certain aesthetic to them that, is lost in later Zeldas. Obviously, like, like the Wind Waker soundtrack is obviously unique in its own way, but there's just something about the 64s, like Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time, that just have this magic to them that no other ones do, and it's specifically the music to them. What, I think there's a... Oh, go ahead. I just wanted to ask, what is the number one like Ocarina of Time song that you guys think of when you think of this game? Huh. Because mine is the Great Fairy Fountain. I think of that one too. There's a lot of songs where like I go to for Ocarina of Time, but like they actually come from Link to the Past, like Great Fairy's Fountain, Kakariko Village. Mine is Sheik's theme. I do think of Sheik's theme a lot. Sheik's theme is the number one song I think of when I think of Ocarina of Time. I I almost put that one as the like I almost sent that song to Owen as the song, but I wanted something more recognizable to to get into what we were talking about I would about always here. get excited when I was a kid watching you play it. Oh. Yep. Oh, oh my yeah, god. Yeah, I recognize this. Whenever I'd always get I always stop what I'm doing whenever Sheik showed up because I love listening to this song so much. And this is very uniquely Ocarina of Time as well. So yes, it pick. is. See, I actually did watch him whenever he played It's like, it's a very special moment whenever Sheik shows up. She's very rarely in the game. One thing it doesn't so really cool, do anything. Doesn't really. I, I mean, it's, it's a major moment. somehow got in the smash. It's a major moment because it's like, okay, when, there's, when story happens in that game, I feel like it's super, like, grabbing, like, grabs your attention. Uh, especially as a, being so young playing this game, uh, this is another game where I felt like super rewarded for being so invested in it because there is the time skip. Like you spend so much time in the space, certain areas you can spend a lot of time in 
nothing really happens, but like to come time skip, the area is really important. A lot has changed there. Just kind of like getting to go through it and see every little thing. If you were paying attention to so much of what the world was before, seeing how much of it is different, not too much is necessarily different. Uh, a lot is different, but like it's not like you're playing a completely different game by any means. Uh, and there's certainly so many games that have done that. Of course, this is probably one of the, if not the most influential game of all time. Um, but experiencing it for the first time, it's a very formative game. I feel like I'm very inclined to like downplay this game because it's like, oh, it's Ocarina of Time, we get it. And there's so many games that have done what this game is doing before, but to really highlight that this game is such a big deal for a reason. Uh, this and Mario 64 are just such very formative games to me. It's a, They're very formative games to a lot of people. Um, and there, there's, a, there's some really good reasons for it. That's, I, I, it's one of the most important games to me for a reason. And it's, it's my number seven for that reason. Oh, what do we have here? I have no idea what this is. This is The Sims? My number Sims seven three? is The Sims 3. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> um, this is, uh, you know, at least partly in the honor of our good friend, uh, Vicky. I want to see her Big Sims 3 fan. Uh, the Sims is a game that, I mean, I, I guess I didn't realize until I got older that um that apparently only women were allowed to play this according to the games community <laughs> um, wow <laughs> well well no I mean uh, the the game the gaming community is horrible about the sins mm -hmm. um and and I I wonder why they're horrible about it um I love the sims though I, it started when I played the Sims 2 on ps2 which I, I don't think was technically a good port of that game, but I still played it a ton anyways. And I've always been a sucker for simulation type games. And I think it's because of the general progress that you can see in a quick amount of time. So for that reason, I, I love Civilization. Civilization, you see a ton of progress. XCOM mm -hmm. 2. That's a game where where because you have these different management elements going on on the side, like, oh, why, uh, five days to discover this more powerful weapon? Sign me up. I, I want to see it simulate. I want to manage the situation. I'm all for it. And The Sims quite literally being a simulated life that goes quicker than the average life. And you can go through a full career. You can find love. You can find heartbreak. You can ruthlessly kill your sins if you want to. Um, play God. You can play God. And it it's just always been a thing that works for me. But it's never worked better than the sims 3 this is also a nostalgia pick for me because now the sims 3 came out a deceptively long time ago let me get the exact date for you 
It came out in 2009. What the fuck? Sims 3? Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's a 14-year-old game. Okay. So That's I, a long time, though. I was 11, and the the backstory of me and The Sims 3 is that I loved Sims 2 so much, I wanted to get Sims 3 right away. Bought it immediately, and then didn't have a computer that could play it. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> Did you buy but, like physical copy of it? Yeah, physical copy. Uh, oh, wow. two thousand nine PC as an eleven year old. One, uh, of course, it was physical. Two, of course, I had no concept about whether or not I could play it. Like, the, Fair. I mean, that makes sense. The, there was there. Did was, you know the specs of the game. There was no way to actually know unless you were like in the know back then, which of course I, I wasn't. Um, this is not the only game this happened for with uh, me. Uh, it also happened with the original uh, Spider-Man 1, like based on the movie game. Didn't happen to you no. with the Buzz Lightyear PC game as well? No, Buzz Lightyear always worked. Um, Buzz we're talking Buzz Lightyear and, Star and, Command, right? Yes, we are. Buzz Lightyear Star Command and also, I believe Toy Story 2 was a good game. It was a good game. Um, yeah, those ones worked. Uh, I I used to be a PC gamer uh, back in those days. Um, but it, it also happened with the Spider-Man 1 game, which also coincidentally ended up being the first game that I got for PS2 because I, I never stopped wanting to play that Spider-Man game. Um, so I got The Sims 3, and then it was easily like three or four years before I ever had a computer that was ever able to play it. Oh my God. But it, it was always on my radar of like, I got to make sure I got to make sure like if I get a laptop or something that has to be able to play it. Um, actually what, what it was is that um, my, my family never had an, a PC ever again. After that, we had, we had a family laptop for a period of time and it was literally like the first thing that I tested. And at this point I'm probably like 14 and I'm still thinking about the Sims three and how I've never been able to play it. Um, played a ton of the Sims three. I typically once a year, I go back to the Sims three. I give myself seven to 14 days to enjoy it. And then I have to put it down. Because it's like a dangerous game for me. If I if I get too sucked into these simulation games, I'll I'll never accomplish anything in my life. Uh, so this is a nostalgia pick. It's also a quality pick. I notice I didn't pick The Sims Four. I've played plenty of The Sims Four. It's just not as good. It's not as good of a game, even though it's newer. Have um, you seen The Sims Four update that they just announced today? That's coming out on four twenty. Uh, no. <laughs> It is, it's very funny. It is a considered the green update, I believe. But a lot of plants and it's hanging out in basements. <laughs> I, and it's probably like $30. It probably is $30. Is I'm it? not going to lie. That's the one thing with, I don't know if Sims 3 was like this, but Sims oh, it 4 was. is like, holy shit. It they are really going hard on these expansions. Hundreds of dollars for Sims expansions. I can't believe it. I think some of these expansions are good, but the the way they will suck every penny from you is is crazy. Um, 
But yeah, we we don't need to spend too much time on it. Were you guys shocked? Is this a shocking pick? No. Surprise! I wasn't expecting it. The song was definitely. I like... could see this with how much you've talked about in the past. Okay, fair enough. I, I definitely recognize the song you're playing, but I was just like, I don't think Owen would put Sims on here. This isn't Sims, and then the song kept playing. I'm like, wait, <laughs> no, this is this is just the Sims three main theme. It must be it. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> All right, Peter, you're number six. Number six. I'm saying the music going is a game that despite what certain people on this podcast say does mean a lot to me and one that I still enjoy very much and want to replay one day. Xenoblade Chronicles is one of the best Nintendo games they've ever made. Easily. I understand what's been said about me and my name, and how I don't want to play 2. And I don't want to play 3 because of 2. But, my god, Xenoblade Chronicles 1 is such a special game. It felt one of the first times where actual mature storytelling was allowed a Nintendo first party game. I understand that there are still some cheesy moments, of course, and that there are some older Nintendo games that do get a bit more, but playing Nintendo, playing Xenoblade Chronicles, the, I don't even know where to start with this game, man. I'll think that little about it. I think where I'll start is the setting. Best setting I've ever played in a fucking game. Ever. The, what, what, what on? I said ever. Yeah. In terms of setting and location, yes. The idea of the world is the two dead bodies of gods is so fucking awesome. So goddamn. Mark, we can agree with this. Incredible setting, yes? Oh, absolutely. You know, I might as well say here, my number six might also be Xenoblade Chronicles. Let's do this together. This is what this cast is also in my top five, arguably top three. Every of the main, every site, Mark, yeah, Mark, I'm gonna let you go, because we're just gonna do this one together. So we could do this together, but I will say the music is a little loud, I can't hear anybody right now. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's all good. It's I, all good. I got carried away. It's a great song, Owen. It is. I was absolutely going to pick that song also. Yeah. Mark, you go for a bit. Um, it's weird. I consider myself a huge RPG person and always have been, and I definitely am now. But, like, growing up, I think, like, the two main JRPGs I would jump around are, like, Kingdom Hearts and the Fire Emblem series. And Fire Emblem was kind of late, if I'm being honest. Uh, but this is probably my favorite RPG out there. Um,. Again, like Peter is saying, the world is there. The soundtrack, arguably, if, oh, oh like my it's, God. it's a top three. The whole series is, if I'm talking series, it is fighting for number one for favorite soundtracks out there. And 
what it's fighting with, we might talk with. Uh, we might talk about it later. But uh, there's there's so much to love about Xenoblade. I love that it just felt like it, it hit me like a truck because it was just yeah. a game that was just kind of out there on the side. And and it was a Nintendo game. You don't expect this sort mm-hmm. of game from Nintendo. It was a late Wii game. Also, the expectations were just not there. People had people were already decided on what a Wii game could be and what a Wii game like just was was going was trying to be like it's okay it's gonna have some sort of gimmicky motion control probably oh it's gonna be very small it's gonna be very limited and it's like no this is a fully fledged JRPG it's putting the Wii at its limits uh a game that rightfully was ported to Switch probably one of the most right uh the rightfully ported Switch games up there with Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. Um, just like Peter's saying, a very uh, more mature story. You don't see. Uh, I feel like I feel like a lot of JRPG stories can really drop the ball on storytelling that really tries to handle the the slightest like I want to say adult themes. Mature. Like, it's m- more mature. Yes. And boy, but this game like, ain't one of them. There's there's a lot of kind of like mannerisms i feel like in jrpgs that kind of just like don't land like don't stick the landing they just feel like really far-fetched they feel really over dramatic a lot of scenes throughout the series really in this game where they where i feel like you would meet a moment where someone is reacting over dramatically a or lot a of stereotypes let's just say a lot of like jrpg yeah. stereotypes yeah they aren't in this game none of them or if they are i feel like the acting and the way the story is framed kind of does them justice where i can take them a bit more seriously if not a lot more seriously and i don't know about you one aspect of this game that for some reason does add just excel it is the all british voice acting it does it makes it stand out of the crowd very the series just kind of stuck with it and you've never heard any of these actors before and like there's never any moment where you're like there's travis willingham there's liam o'brien there's you know there's ashley johnson all like maybe they've done other games or movies or shows before, but for me, I've never heard them in any other game. I don't think since, not including like where Xenoblade characters showing up in other Nintendo games. Just an all unique voice cast with again, just you, you never hear an all British cast in games. You just don't, and it, it does add something to it. Do you know about Melia's voice actress, Peter? I was gonna. Isn't she a Doctor Who vo- like actor or something? She's, she like a, she's, she's, a, she's yeah. actually a huge actor to some degree. I don't know what she's done, but like, despite like between the time from Xenoblade One to forward in the series, she still decided to come back for any related role for that, which is very cool. Great so, game, very great good game. game. Like, I, when the remake was announced for Switch, and it was the one more thing. I remember I heard the first note of the song before the screen even lit up, and I was freaking out. It's like, I hear that one piano note, I know it's Xenoblade. I fucking know that it's Xenoblade. Like, I know a lot of people point to games like Skyrim, uh, Witcher, Elden, not maybe Elden Ring, yes, and Breath of the Wild as like some really like monumental open world games. I think. Oh, man. They don't know. They, they don't, don't know. know what this game does. They don't know that on the this Wii, happened on the fucking on the Nintendo Wii, Wii, man. Like to play this game now, it's still a really amazing RPG. Like to, you wouldn't experience like this monumental groundbreaking thing. I don't think. Uh, 
because a it is definitely a lot smaller scale. Uh, the combat in this game, I think, is not the most impressive. The the, the series has one upped it so many times that Xenoblade Three is like peak combat of this. It is, I think, the best form of this combat. This kind of real time active skill based combat. But the first one, where it all started. A lot of exploring the world is super cool. One of the things I, I appreciated the most in this game, I see a lot of games have been doing it since in this open world, is that there's just so many areas that are you can you have the free reign to explore everything in a designated area. The only thing stopping you is that sometimes there are enemies that are more than triple your level. If you can sneak around them and maybe survive a fight against them, which like you're not going to win. You're lucky if you can survive a hit or two, but if you can take a hit get around it, maybe explore an area you're absolutely not supposed to be in, especially because you'll just see enemies more than 12 times the size of you running around. You Like, miles away, you know you shouldn't be over there, but you can still try to get over there. It's not super punishing. You don't get setbacks super often. Checkbacks, checkpoints are usually pretty generous. Uh, and on top of that, just with that kind of element of the exploration on top of a world that is so well built, it's not just that the game is just built on these world, these these titans, but the the areas that they are built on, not just because you can see where the world is, the rest around the titan, like other areas of it, like if you're on the knee of the titan, the perspective of the entire titan above you and the opposing one beside you is so very noticeable. It is always noticeable no matter where you are. And just like thematically, maybe not thematically, but just Certain areas are like the biomes that they are because of where they are placed on the Titan. Like you always know where you are yes. on the Titan. That and there's somehow a, a Wii why. game being able to nail the geography that well, where it's like, oh, I'm on the arm, I'm on the leg, I'm on the like a shoulder. Like mm-hmm. you just you always manage. The worlds are so well designed that they they manage to create a unique location while also incorporating it into a body part of a god. And both do so well at what they're aiming to do. And then they merge together. No, I'm in this beautiful forest and I'm probably and I'm on the hip of the, of the fucking Biotis. Like, it's just so fucking well done. I can't say I'm shocked. By this being on both of your lists. I am a little shocked that it lined up exactly perfectly. That I am surprised. I, I'm a little surprised too. Um I I plan I plan to do the Xenoblade dive one day. But I, I don't want to shortchange it. If I if I do the dive, I get I gotta do it. And I tried the dive on Wii. Technically on my yeah, Wii. Yeah, but game. now you have no excuse. Now 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 I have no excuse. Beyond the fact that it's a super long JRPG, I I would like to experience it, but yeah, um, that is kind of a built-in excuse. Uh, so that's why I I can't just go into it willy-nilly. It has to it has to happen at the right time, and one day it will. I mean, anytime you guys share any Xenoblade music, it is. I mean, what did top that that that's the th- the song that I shared is the main theme of the game. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. Top notch. Are you fucking kidding? Me? Like something very good about Xenoblade games is the title screen is a moment in the game. Yes, it was my desktop say, background for years. It is one of my many. I have rotating desktop backgrounds that just every like twenty seconds changes to just a bunch of different scenes in the game. That is my Xenoblade one. I have a Xenoblade X one also. Because Xenoblade X is a very underrated game. Well, it's not. It's the only place you're going to see it. So it is, it is the it. only place. If only I could see it on my Nintendo Switch, that would be great. But uh, unfortunately, as of recording, 
That's not possible. Um, uh, I think we've said all there is to say for Xenoblade. I, I, I think we've praised it a lot. We've talked about Xenoblade. I have, I have fought with Peter about the Xenoblade series many but times. But the weird thing is, as much as I love this game, it's a very rare instance for me where I don't need more. This it's was just... insanely good, and I'm content with where they ended the story. Three is three is so close. I just the biggest don't problem care with about, three, I will never play two. I will never play Xenoblade two. That will never happen. And you really don't have to play two. Just you have to understand if just uh, maybe because you played one. How much like, does one have more influence than two? It's pretty equal. Well, damn. You could play three without playing any of the first two. Well, that's that's so, like, less assuring. Like I it's want just payoffs. there is payoff. There, there's little sprinkles throughout. Some of it is post game, some of it is not. But it's just there's just certain holes. I, if I had to say one thing, the moments where like the biggest payoff in Xenoblade Three is rewarded to those who played Xenoblade Two specifically. Well, instead of- uh, yeah, exactly. Just, but here we go. Yeah. You just ruined the sales pitch. There's no chance yeah. for Peter now. There, yeah, no, there, there go. are no. moments for no, the no, One no. fans. Let's there move are on. Cool Let's move ones, on to but- oh, it's six. This isn't the time for this. Okay. This- that's just one chapter specific. That's Xenoblade like... Chronicles one, number six for both me and Mark. All of us okay. number six. So I'm a little worried with my song choice on this one because um, I don't know. I, d- I don't want to step on any toes or anything, but I just feel like it has to be done. Who is gonna come after us? Okay, the song I would have chosen to. Yeah, Owen, hold on to the song. So my number six is Halo 3. Bit low in my opinion. I can put it up. I don't mean the oh, song. The I mean oh. the, pl- the list. There you go. <laughs> confusing. Confusing. Um, the reason it's not higher for me is because this is almost in no way a campaign pick, which, you know, I've I've played the campaign a lot in the past, um, and I enjoy it. But this is the true representative pick of, like, what multiplayer gaming is to me. Back when I was coming up on the Xbox 360... I played a lot of Halo and a lot of Call of Duty. There might have even been points where I played Call of Duty more. But Halo has been the one that that leaves like a lasting legacy for me. And and part of it is because of music like this and and the classic uh, main menu theme of Halo 3. I mean, uh, I kids these days still know that song, uh, which is actually crazy to me um i i remember seeing it like only a couple years ago like going viral on tiktok of like high schoolers uh joking around with the main menu theme of halo 3 i i genuinely i don't know how that's possible because this is a 2007 game 2007 9 which one is it 2007 um 
And Halo 3 is a moment in time. And it lasted for a long time. This this is another perfect example of uh, content playing a factor as well. I watched a ton of people play Halo 3. I would spend hours uh, searching for cool uh, forge maps, which was not easy back then. You had to like find like people's codes that they would put in like message boards in order to find their cool forge map. Um, I, all of my positive halo thoughts come from that time in halo three and it's been able to be maintained through the Master Chief Collection uh, specifically. I mean, you can still play Halo 3 literally, but when when we play free-for-alls on Lockout, yes, technically that's Halo 2, but I, w- I wouldn't be doing that with you guys if it wasn't for Halo 3. And then Halo 3, of course, has uh, classic maps like Guardian, or I always think of The Pit. The Pit is like the number one map I think of to the point that because I played it so much, I actually don't know if I love the pit or not. <laughs> but uh, it's just like kind of ingrained in me. Old Halo multiplayer is the number one thing that what we've actually been trying to get it going lately, and we just haven't been able to. Well, we did. So a bunch of us did Sunday. Oh uh, well, I I'm sorry, I wasn't able to be there. Yeah, again, yeah, we all have great. We all had a great time. It was wonderful. Well, we played for like three, I four assure hours. you, I would have had a great time too because it's a great time every time we play. It. Yes, it is. We it was we did free for alls and then me and James versus Mark and Joe two v two is for a few hours. Oh my god, we had such a good time. In the last five years, when we've played classic Halo multiplayer with each other, it has never been a bad time. Nope. And I still, I always think about those, like they are, we, we form memories every time we play. And it's always like, man, we're all like, thank God we did this. Thank God we did this. It's actually kind of inexcusable that we don't find more time to do it. I don't know why we don't. I've always wanted to. Certain other people are like, we have to play the latest battle royale and get mad for five hours. Um, Halo is, uh... I mean, it's a cultural cornerstone, which is why it's so sad that, like, it's been so mishandled in modern years, even though Infinite's a good game, um, or, or good mechanically. I mean, multiplayer in Infinite's great. It is, it is, it is. Except in the ways that it's been mismanaged. Of course. Um, Halo 3's the, the number one to point to for that. I, I, I did... Um, entertain, I, I guess, actually, I think I took it off my honorable mentions. So I did entertain, like, where does combat evolved rank in here for me, which is a campaign that I like more than Halo 3, but Halo 3 is, um, it's the one, it's the culmination of it all. It not only has a great campaign, it has all of this multiplayer baggage coming along with it, baggage in a good way in a nostalgic way and I know when I play it in modern times it's not all nostalgia it's a totally different feel of any other first person shooter you play 
that's a good thing. And it's never been truly replicated. If it was replicated, everyone would always know it to be like kind of a Halo clone. So it wouldn't quite feel right. It has a perfect level of uniqueness going along with it. And I love Halo 3. That's why it's my number six. I assume this might be talked about later on, possibly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Hold okay. On to it. Okay. Um, Time for top five territory. Now. Top five. Wow. All right, Peter. It is time for your number five. My number five. I knew this was the game I probably had to put most thought into. Is it top ten? I thought to myself, not only is it top ten, it's top five. I sent you the song, Owen. Oh, boy. I've got a guess here. I'm thinking it might be Ori, but I'll stay tuned. You're absolutely correct. My number five is Ori and the Will of the Wisps. When I think of, in terms of visuals, what games can be, I think about Ori. Every animation, every like every, just every second you're looking at a game, you're looking at the most beautiful fucking game that's ever been made. Oh my god. Every location in that game can be a desktop background. Every single one. It can be a poster on a wall, a framed picture in your apartment or home. It is uh, genuinely... Ori and the Will of the Wisps is art in motion. Art that you can play. That also has in my top three favorite soundtracks of all time. Like Metroidvania gameplay. Perfected and refined. Traversing in Ori just is every aspect of the game. The traversal, the combat, the exploration. There is a story and characters, and they are very simple and easy to follow. And even with that, I still get very invested. Is it the greatest story ever? No. Greatest characters ever written? No. But, Ori is my favorite Xbox character. Wow. That is both... A detriment to Xbox, <laughs> but also a compliment to Ori. I don't know which of I. It's probably more of a like a you know a slap to Xbox than a compliment. But that being said, if you were to show me an Xbox trailer, it's like oh, Master Chief shows up. We're like oh hey hey man how's it going? Even Shy from Hi-Fi Rush, it's like oh how's it going? If I were to see Ori, I'd be like oh my god it's Ori. I would have picked you guys to play this game had I won last year if Blind Forest. If this game was not a sequel, I would have picked this game instead. Now, Blind Forest, still a great game, but Will the Wisp is leagues leagues better, in my opinion. I love this game so much. So, so much. This will be a game I replay many times in my life. 
And this will be a game that I will advocate for others to consume as much as I physically can. This game is an achievement. It is a triumph, this game. Oh my fucking god, if it wasn't for my... Again, the only reason it's not the best game Xbox has ever published in my mind is because there's another game you're going to hear early on that I've put hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours into. Ori Will the Wisp. There's the only negative I can think of this game is that there's one location you go to that I hate. Really, that's it. That's the only downfall of this game. And downfall is way too negative. If What's it so bad that about one it? Lo- if it weren't for the... This is a weird thing that I will say. If it weren't for that one location, I think this is one of the few games. And I know it's weird to say that because it's my number five. If it's not for that one location, this is a perfect video game. Everything it's everything this game it's, this game strides to accomplish, it does with flying colors. I well, love this game so much. What's so bad about that area? I'm kind of curious. You'll, if you ever play it, you'll know. It's an area. Okay. It's in the bottom right of the map. It's the bottom right area, and I fucking hate it. I okay. hate it, I hate it, I hate it. It's annoying to it's annoying to traverse, it's ugly to look at, it's boss battle is unsatisfying and annoying. Everything about it. Get collecting collecting but like like just it's oh my god, I hate that level so much. I hate that area, but everything else, fantastic. Does that mean we're we're ready to move on? Well, if you have no, if you guys have nothing to say or observe or question, then yeah, we're ready to move no, on. No, I, I, I think they're. I like having a a reaction after each pick, mm-hmm. um, and this is another one of those ones that like coming into today wasn't on my mind for you, but hearing you say it is not a shock at all. It, it actually more so just makes me happy where it's like, I think this was a 2020 game. You might have played it in 21. Yes, it was. Or 2020. You... Okay, okay. Um, I played it in 2021. You know, I, I worry about you sometimes, Peter. And that the the idea that you, you would take the games that you played before you turned 18 and just kind of take them in a sled with you and go down the hill for the rest of your life. But that's not true. Because this is a 2020 video game that is in your top five of all time. Yes, it is. And that makes me happy. And I also, I expressed this for a lot of the games mentioned today that I haven't played, but it, it'll be a failure if within a year or two I don't get around to the Ori games. And I will play both of them, even though this one's better. I, I have no qualms about playing Blind Forest because I always thought that game looked great. You I will love also, music again, the it. reason why I will always tell people, please still play Blind Forest, because Blind Forest is still a great game, but the improvements that are in Will the Wisps can't be appreciated as much if you don't play Blind Forest as well. It just shows how much they have really, they really improved on the formula that Blind Forest set out before them. The only issue I have with this game in general is that I can say wisp. I can't say nope. wisps. Nope. I, I can't I, do I it. I mean, you've heard it for years. That always confuses me. I, I don't know how to say it. Um, wisps. Wisps. I think that's pretty good on Mark. Um, yeah, no, I. but if you told me, like, use it in a sentence, I can't. I cannot do it. 
Um, I abstain. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's my takeaway from your pick. Mark, if you have anything to Uh, add, or you can go into your next one. My take on it is like, I know you've had strong feelings about this game. I'm glad you're putting your money where your mouth is. That is a game in your top 10 to have evoked such feelings. Top five, even. This is my top five. But no Blind Forest, though, so I don't know how much of a glory pain you really are, though. Well, you know, Blind uh... Forest is great. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know you. I know you. What's that, Owen? I I just want to make one observation about Peter's list so far. Um, I don't know if I'm forgetting any. Oh wait, I totally am forgetting some. At least one. So we have one Nintendo game on here so far. Just a little surprising. That's very interesting. Peter's top ten list is very diverse in genre, and it is. I appreciate that a lot. It is like. It's not a matter of genre. It's a matter of does it speak to the heart. And that's that's Peter's list. I'm a gamer, guys. What do you want from me? Oh, what's your Valorant rank? Blow it out your ass. That's, my ah, well, no, that's pretty high rank. Pretty high <laughs> rank. Right. If nothing else is there to say, that is my number five. Ori and the Will of the Wisps. I've got a song coming your way now, Owen. This is going to be the song... Where upon playing it, nobody will recognize the game. It is not an iconic video game song. It's an iconic song to this game. An iconic song maybe to many to like the Super Smash Brothers series. But when I hear this song, I think of this game. The game where it comes from. Owen. Of course, it's here. It's this is Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn. This is the tenth Fire Emblem game. The Fire Emblem on the Wii, a Fire Emblem game that sold very poorly. That's arguably not a lot of people own, not a lot of people have played, and one of the most expensive Fire Emblem games to get because it was not printed very much. It did not sell very well. It just kind of happened. Crazy how we have it. Yeah, but we have it. We have one of the most expensive hire. To get this game probably will run you like $150. It's the only way to play it. There's, Nintendo has never released another way to play this. And its predecessor, because this is a sequel to a GameCube game, uh, Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. Another equally expensive video game that was not printed. This is when Fire Emblem hardly existed uh, to the States. And then... Smash Brothers kept happening, and then now we have Fire Emblem. Smash Brothers kept happening, and then Fire Emblem Awakening kept happening, and now we have Fire Emblem as we know. But this is the step right before Awakening, right before we hopped on that era of Fire Emblem, the era of Fire Emblem everyone knows onward. This was the last of the old guard. This is a big nostalgia pick, but also a big pick because I love the Fire Emblem games, and this is still my favorite Fire Emblem game. It's tactics game i like the story a lot a uh, big thing i really like about it is just the the lore behind it we're in between every chapter it always shows you like this map of the whole world and kind of like who the key players are from each country how they're interacting with each other what is ongoing and it. it is the, the most comparable thing i think that people would understand what i like about it is that there's a very strong game of thrones to it where there is this kind of like political fantasy element where there's an ongoing war between all these nations. There is a lot of different uh, relationships between everybody that I was really, really into when I was younger. Uh, on top of it, just uh, playing this game the first time and permadeath is a whole thing where you can kind of lose units. There's no way to disable permadeath in this game. 
Of course, you can save scum, but my first playthrough, we did not save scum. We lost many, many lives. And, and I don't think we were like too burned from too many of them, but it added uh, a layer. I think this is the first like permadeath thing game, permadeath esque kind of game I'd ever played. So it was somewhat of a big deal to just see people go and then they just don't come back. Um, but it was, it's just the world I really loved about this game. Uh, the story is very interesting. Um, between, uh, I mean, to spoil this game, I suppose, is you start the game uh, with one country that is kind of a country that was the villain of the first game, and people kind of just like who are from this country who are like not like tyrannical leaders trying to take their country back from a country that is overtaking them since their king is killed in the first game trying to make something out of their country then shifting gears to other countries uh and just shifting perspectives to different armies all building up to one climax with all the characters all the countries involved in something uh especially because a lot of it throughout the game is two specific countries fighting each other and you are jumping back and forth between the nations uh and it's in a game where permadeath is a thing, playing this game for the first time, and you have to face some of the units you trained, you know exactly how strong they are, and even canonically and in-game, one of these armies is just, like, obviously stronger than the others. Whenever you have to play as the weaker army, it is always that much more stressful. It's always that much more like, oh no, there's my best units. I have to. There's my best unit from the other t- side of the army. I have to avoid them at all costs. And just seeing them run after you is a very cool experience. Uh, a game I feel like is hard to sell to a lot of other people because it's not the best Fire Emblem. There's a lot of things. Maybe I wouldn't uh, say like the peak of the series. It's one of. The, it's considered one of the most difficult Fire Emblem games for what that's worth. But a game that's hard to play. A story I know I love. Uh, it's very memorable because there's so much being juggled at the same time. A world I think is super cool. Uh, and really a game that made me fall in love with Tactic Team. Like I said before with Xenoblade, where growing up I definitely considered myself an RPG person when I actually didn't have the receipts to show for playing so many RPGs. Fire Emblem, Radiant Dawn is one that really kind of cemented it to me. Uh, just realizing I I am a huge RPG person. Tactics RPGs are very much on my radar it was my first tactics RPG and put me on this genre being like, yeah, this is this is a kind of game not just do I like, but I love. And it's a game that's very close to my heart. I, I know I know Owen maybe doesn't have too much to say about Radiant Dawn, but Peter, I'm sure you have thoughts on this. This is a game I, do. I, I wasn't sure if this was going to make your top ten. A game that was no, important it's to like it's, It almost made it again, there's a lot of honorable mentions might have been more of a bloodbath than the top ten itself of getting in. Um, my, my reaction to this game is at least a a mild bit of surprise because this game wasn't on my radar for you at all. I am, dare I call you out, a little surprised that a nostalgia pick made it so high. Um, this is a bit of nostalgia, like... This this it's is game, and this is this is my favorite Fire Emblem game in a series that I've played. I put 170 hours into Fire Emblem Engages here because I love the series. Ike, I uh, two main characters. So Ike, and there's the main character Makai from this game, from this game, and then there's the Mika- the character who is the main character from the GameCube game, which is the first of the series. Ike, 
two characters I both really like and engaged. They're both there. I, I I love the series. I love a lot of the characters in there. If I see these two characters, Ike Mikai or any of their their buddies that they're with in any other game, it grabs my attention immediately. I I adore the cast, and I do think it is a genuinely good tactics game that is just very inaccessible. Has been very built upon. Uh, it's just a very tough version of Fire Emblem, a flavor of Fire Emblem that aesthetically hasn't been redone again. I really desperately hope. A remake for these games happens like if i could put a list together of like top five anticipated games that we have no idea that they might exist this is probably number one i want this game more than anything a remake of radiant dawn because there's a very good game in here with some uh upgrades to like graphical fidelity uh maybe some gameplay tweaks i wouldn't want to change well, too much well we could take weapon durability out of this game we could I maybe take f weapon durability out of the game but maybe also a few more missions with the day and crew you know they can be there's like some of the best units in the game but you i don't know how the fuck you're supposed to make them the best in the game it's, you don't it's get a thing much time. if you had time to make them all max at level they would be some of the best units in the yes. game but because they're such a deep sink i think it's a con to them that makes them not I agree. Like, the Grill Mercenaries and Crimea, you get all the time in the world with them, but the Day and Mercenaries, it's like, you should get more time with them, but mm -hmm. you don't. Like, there's a certain units they just put into your hands, it's like, okay, this unit... If you... You could solo the game, almost. Yes! On the lowest that's, that's the, on the, the lowest difficulty, you could solo the difficulty. Yes, but then like, there's you, missions, any one of these units, you, you can make one of your best possible units, but you have to focus on them, and all the other units have to suffer in their place. Yeah. Like, but I'd rather that just not fucking happen, you know? I'd rather we I just not do that. And and just on... What is the, the default difficulty? You can't play the game on normal or hard until you've beaten the game, and on easy difficulty, it's still pretty challenging. And there are certain units that just break the game, but then when you're swapping to other armies, it's like, okay, unless if you have put all your marbles into certain baskets, a couple of these units will be really good, but otherwise, they're all going to be not that great, especially when they have to go up against the other army, which is very obviously a stronger army. It can another, be pretty, yeah. There's, there's arguably a lot of cons to this game. It's not a perfect game, but I don't want to like try to tell this game is like oh for its cons but just the reasons that i love it is that it is a a really good tactics game i like its difficulty i love the world and i love the characters when it comes to nostalgia picks this is a game that is super super close to me i think about this game more often than any of the other nostalgia picks on my list honestly i will agree that this is also probably my favorite fire emblem but three houses is close but i mean yeah they, this game is incredible Three House is good. Three House is I great. Like I would say it's great. It's it's definitely really good. I don't know if I want to say it's great, even though it's probably my second favorite Fire Emblem also. Shadows of Valencia is also really good. This isn't a Fire Emblem podcast. we got to move. It's not. It's not. It's not. Um, just Three Houses just didn't have the maps. I didn't like that you had to replay it, all the routes to actually get. I agree. That is a detriment plot points, to it. But I, every Fire Emblem game has its detriments. There is no perfect Fire Emblem game out there. But if you love Fire Emblem, you love Fire Emblem. And Radiant Dawn will always be my favorite one. Uh, and a huge gateway to RPGs, I feel like, in my opinion, for me. This is not a Fire Emblem podcast, but it is a podcast about my number five. Nice. Hey! I don't know what this is.
I'm sure you're going to be excited to talk about this game again. Peter. Oh, okay. It's. I'm afraid. My number five is Red Dead Redemption 2. And this one, probably, it can't be a shock for listeners because, I mean, me and Mark have talked about this game plenty. I've shit myself in surprise. And and Peter also shits himself every single time this game gets mentioned. To, oh, to the point it. that, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if it's talked about again. It doesn't need to be revealed if it will be or not. Um... But uh, this is the the game that takes the cake for me. Is like I'm I'm double checking, double checking. There might be one other game in my top five that competes with it in terms of being like a valuable story to me. Um, I've talked up and down about just how meaningful a character arthur morgan is to me i he's just one of my favorite characters in all of fiction and i just don't expect that when i play games i don't um and this game i just i find new meaningful things about it almost every time i think about it and it's one of these games that uh, it hasn't been out long enough for me to replay it a lot, but I will be replaying it. I plan to replay it this year. I just need to find the window for it and I'm, I'm going to commit. And that is going to be a playthrough that, uh, largely it doesn't even rely upon the story. I, they create such a huge world in this game and it's beautiful and I feel like I only scratched the surface of it when I first played it because I was drawn in enough into the story. But now that I know the story and everywhere it goes, I just know that I need to go back to that game and I need to, from the beginning, experience it as slowly as possible. And th- that's what the game tries to make you do. That's that's why a lot of people don't like it. Because it makes you try to experience it slowly. And my first playthrough, I even found some frustration in that. But now I realize why they were trying to make me cherish my time. And Red Dead Redemption 2 is one of my top five favorite games of all time. Uh, I guess kind of revealing one of my honorable mentions. One of my honorable uh, mentions would have been Red Dead Redemption 1. uh, Which was kind of like one of those open world eye openers for me i was able to play red dead redemption one before i was able to play any gta games so it kind of exposed me to that type of open world uh it also exposed me to what i i thought was a great story in that game and i just think red dead redemption 2 takes everything that the first game did and levels it up to an incredible amount um to a point that vastly overshadows the first game. That is why Red Dead Redemption 2 is my number five. I wish. I mean, like, I, I love Red Dead Redemption 2. Like, it is it is a very special game. But like how you said you want to replay it, I know I also have to replay it. I have such strong feelings about it. 
uh, about the characters, about certain plot points, but I would really have to replay it again to really let it resync in, to really refresh myself, because it is a long game with a lot of slow moments, and I was definitely, at the time, trying to rush through it because there's other games I was trying to play. Or, it wasn't that there's other games that I was trying to play, but I wanted to make sure I was done with it before Super Smash Bros. Ultimate came out, just like a month later, because I played it, because it came out at the end of October. Smash was early December, so I had a whole month to make sure with whatever spare, uh, spare time I had, that game had to get beat. And there's a lot of side stuff I definitely miss in that game that I'd like to try and see. Uh, and just really kind of take it slow, because I feel like the game is intentionally slow and wants you to play it slowly. I did not do that. And despite that, I still have such strong feelings about it, about Arthur Morgan, his story, about his crew, uh, and a lot of pivotal moments, especially late game. Like, I wasn't sold that this game was something I loved and thought was super special until the final arc of the game, which I I, st- I don't really know what like the vibe is and what people feel about that last. I feel like I've seen a lot of people not like that last section of Red Dead Redemption 2 because it takes a slow game and makes it even slower. I, I think it's my my least favorite part, but there's Dang. there's a specific reason for that that I... I mean, oh, we've spoiled most other games here. Um, I mean, it's because you're not with Arthur anymore. I wanted to be with Arthur. Yeah, that's fair. And while but, I loved John in the first game, I I didn't want to be with him in the second game. I I liked it more because even though Arthur wasn't there anymore, it is this turning of leaf that everyone is trying to put together for themselves. I mean, mostly John, all on the foundation of Arthur's sacrifice. So like he wasn't there, but like he made this possible and he wanted this more than anything. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There, there's definitely something to take away from that. Um, it's a must replay. Uh, it's non-negotiable. It has to happen. Um, but we've talked about this game so often on this podcast. I think we can safely move on to Peter's next game. Now we're going to talk about a game with a real story and a real main protagonist, everyone. I know everyone was like, oh, I gotta play on Dutch, but this game is worth writing home about. This game is worth being put on the fridge. For real. We're being serious right now. Which one? God of War Ragnarok. Okay. It's my number four game of all time. This is the best game, best first party game PlayStation's ever made. Kratos is one of my favorite characters in all of gaming. This is another game that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, so I won't say much. I don't, I don't need to go too into, you know, into detail, but... The original God of Wars, I don't give a shit about. I don't know if I'll ever play them. And with that said... They've still managed to make Kratos one of the best written, acted characters in the medium, in my opinion. The combat is so improved over 2018, which already had incredible combat. I love all of the new characters you meet in this game, Odin and Thor being particular highlights. I still think about the story still to this day, and pick up on little things. Like how 
in the beginning of the game, when you meet Thor, he tells you he's not drinking, that he's sober. And then Odin comes in and makes fun of him and says, come on, drink. And Thor doesn't do it. And then later on in the game, Thor is drunk as a uh, drunk is shit at a bar. And then when Odin is confronted about the fact that Odin is drunk again, Odin just says he did it. All on his own, because he's a drunk. And it's just little things you think about, like, man, Odin is even worse. The more I think about that game, Odin is such a piece of shit. And there's so many little ways, like the one I just said, that you don't really think on in the moment. But when you're reflecting on the game, you're like, oh, wait, man, Odin is always just the negative effect on this on his fucking family and i love the parallels of him being of how he's a father versus how kratos is a father versus how freya is a mother i think about this game every week not every day but at least every week and i just reminisce more and more on the story and the character beats and the moments it's just like oh yeah there really was more meaning in that one segment or that one section I love looking at the game, incredible set pieces, great locations, just some of the best voice acting. Again, I think Christopher Judge gives one of the best performances I've ever seen in a game, but then he talked for way too fucking long in the Game Awards and his performance is not like lesser than, but there is a little twitch I do when we're watching him talk for 12 to 13 minutes and the three of us are like having anxiety attacks it, in the it moment. It hurts because a bit. Like, It does. It really it, does hurt like, a bit. It, like, it always will hurt a bit. I wish that it didn't carry over to the game at all, but that's like a little bit of a lie. Like there, yeah. there's just like a tiny twinge of like, Oh, but I remember when he had that acceptance speech. Yeah, it was terrible. It was one of the worst. Again, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. That being said, I get it at the end of the day. Like that does, is there a little twinge? But yeah, that's a little twinge. That said moment, the moment in the tent before Ragnarok that was a moment where it's like, oh, we've really... Facial capture has really achieved new heights with this game. I can't believe we're here. Where, again, moments in this game with the, with the, like, with the facial capture, it's like, that's just a person. That's just a person in this scene. Like, this, the wrinkles and muscles that move on Kratos' face was... Like, having... He's feeling emotion for the first time... One of the first times in his life. Like, and not just anger, but, like, just genuine love and also sadness and worry for his son and you're telling it's like it's it's capturing like he's feeling this emotion for the first time or one of the first times or something he hasn't felt in a very long time and he doesn't really know how to react or how to how to really come to terms with it and how to channel it and again i won't go on anymore but just little moments like that where i'm like oh my god this game is incredible just as tired as I am of the third-person, over-the-shoulder action narrative game, like, the PlayStation is just ironed out to just death. This is the best they've ever done with it. I fucking adore God of War Ragnarok. It's a game that has stuck with me for months and will continue to stick with me for, I assume, many years to come, if not the rest of my life. I fucking love God of War Ragnarok, and it is my number four. Now, we were talking about recent games making the list. Yes. Not even and I a thought, year oh, old. I thought long about this. I know, I know this is right. I know I believe this. I know I will believe this for years. I know I will. Okay. So, I, mean, uh, I 
I choose to look at this positively and um while the there's a lot of tension around this game on this podcast. Because <laughs> well, you hate it. <laughs> no, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I, I don't do, believe I, you. I really don't believe you. No, I, I like, don't. This isn't a bit it. when I say this. I think you do not like this game. I just don't like it as much as you do, and that's fine. No, that that's not it. No, I You d- have a contempt. You have a contempt for this game. Contempt? A visceral contempt. Contempt? I have no contempt. contempt. The, maybe for the yeah. gameplay. If we want to talk about the gameplay again, Peter, we could. No. I can, well, no, Mark. Again, I don't think you do. Again, Mark, you have issues. That's fine. I genuinely believe Owen has a contempt for this game. I, I had moments in small arenas that I didn't enjoy. And... Nah, this is my 9-11 truther psych gaming opinion that Owen does not. Owen doesn't hate God of War Ragnarok, but he doesn't like it as much as he says he does. He really doesn't. I 8.5 out of 10. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I just think that's, that's what I think about it. I, I very much enjoyed that. I played it. I thought it was better than the first game in almost every respect. And I liked the first game a lot. Um, Red Dead 2 and God of War Ragnarok are the yin and yang on this podcast. How much you love Red Dead 2 is how much I love. And how you feel about the game is how I feel about Ragnarok. That's fair. Um, the exception being is that I'll, I, Ragnarok's not an eye roll from me. Because I like it. Uh-huh. I do. <laughs> I believe you. Um... I mean, I I think it's undeniable that it's a it's a great game. I I wouldn't personally rank it this high. I know a lot of people probably actually do agree with you. I mean, a lot of people were saying that they thought it was one of the best games ever last year. Um, and and part of I'd be lying if I said that part of my God of War reaction wasn't responding to that because I was hearing people say that, including yourself. And my like slightly more negative pushback probably came from the fact that I like there there was so much positivity that I wasn't. I have never in. heard someone be so negative on a spoiler cast for a game they've claimed to like. Oh, and I could say how many positive things you said about the game on one hand. Sure, sure, I've heard it plenty of times from you. I I didn't really listen to the spoiler cast because I that's another thing that's another thing to affirm me Joe just listened to it a few weeks ago and that's why we started beating up on you because he was like I can't believe Owen's saying this what the fuck is that like Joe reaffirmed to me they're like oh I'm not just crazy like no you were as negative as I thought you were Mark uh, was I that negative <laughs> now we get to see me think, and Mark agree <laughs> I think I think we definitely were a bit more negative on it like myself included even uh, even though I know I still think that this is a really good game, I think my own opinion on God of War Ragnarok this far removed is that a game that like the biggest things that make me feel like I'm not like as gung-ho about it is A, I wanted a really bittersweet ending and it wasn't bittersweet enough for me and my expectations and my hopes let me down again. I hold that against a lot of things. But I almost feel like this game is better because of that. Because everyone's like, it's going to be a sad ending. It's going to be a bittersweet ending. And the surprise and the twist is that it's not. 
I mean, God for, for some characters, happy ending. For some characters, it is not a happy ending. There's well, no, it's like don't again, if we're doing ending. like spoilers for all the games we've talked about today, it's like look at the the fucking Xenoblade. It's like everyone's partying, and then you look at Melly. It's like, huh? Yeah. Why would you party when she's nearby? You know, isn't that kind mm-hmm. of rude? But mm-hmm. and again, same with God of War Ragnarok, where it's like some characters like, yeah, we won, and then others it's like, could you maybe celebrate a few inches away from that guy because they didn't, they did not turn out as well as you did. Hmm. Um. The second thing on top of that is that the part of me that wants from modern games to be trying like really like revolutionizing the wheel, where I have games like say. Outer Wilds on this top 10 of mine. Games that are just like so out there, trying new things. You ever played anything like this? I feel like on some levels, like this was very much like the first God of War, which shouldn't be a bad thing, but I make it sound like a bad thing or it feels like a bad thing to me. But they really built on it in the best ways where there's like so many more boss fights. And I've, I remember even saying on this podcast, like the two things I really needed them to do was like really deliver on the story and like really go hard on the boss fights. And they did both of those things. Um, God, it's not God of War's job to recreate the gaming genre real. Like, it, real though. It isn't. It's not, and it's, that's not fair to put that on the shoulders of a game that never claimed to be that or want to do that. If it were a new IP and it was another third over the, per, like, over the like, shoulder third-person adventure narrative, then sure, say whatever you want. It's like, Sony, come on, something new. But a game that was already established in the genre and was one of the best games of the console, if not the best game of the previous console... Every, everyone hears, oh, that game's getting a sequel. No one's going to look at that be- and say, I hope it's an RTS. No one's like, going to say that. If they did, if they did they'd be crazy. Like, it, it it weighs on the fact that we've, even though we said it on the podcast plenty of times, the first party cinematic Sony formula has weighed on us. We are a little bit tired of it. And even though God of War Ragnarok is such an excellent game, it is playing that extremely excellent game while still going through that fatigue. There are definitely moments in this game where I was just like, this is definitely like, I am realizing that I'm still realizing this fatigue. Um, even though a lot of this is a very good game in the main linear path, I felt like a lot of the side stuff, some of it is like really cool, really robust, a lot of larger areas for side activities where you didn't expect them to be. But for the most part, a lot of the side quests were fine. I was in love with too many of them. There's a couple of them that I thought were like really, really cool. I like the jellyfish one. I like doing the uh, the post game bosses, except for one of the post game bosses. I definitely talked about it where you have to fight two or three and two or three bosses in a small arena at the same time. And I thought it wasn't fair. It was stupid. They could attack you from off the screen, and on the difficulty I was playing, and they would kill me in like one or two fucking hits. And I felt like it was I was cheesed. I was cheated. I got to the max level on one of these boss fights, and I was like four levels ahead of where I was supposed to be, and I still struggled really hard for that boss fight. But as much as I hate it, I love it because it's very memorable that boss fight. But. Uh, Ragnarok is an enigma to me because I will say good things about it, even though I don't feel like uh, this was a game that like rocked my worlds. Uh, as other it did first me. It did mine. and I know it did mine. And I'd be lying if I said it didn't. I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't love Kratos. Like Kratos himself as a character, like truly does shine, and I, I, I see Kratos and I smile, and like, oh my god, it's him. I love him. He's done some cool things. He's been through some tough things. Love him as a character. Uh, some of the characters around him, sure, I like varying amounts. Uh, but Kratos, he's a real one. 
Mark, your number four. Four. Ah, yes, my number four. So, this is right here in the indie realm, my favorite indie game out there. Oh, and I'm sending you a song, a song that will not be very familiar to a lot of people. I think this is an indie game by name. A lot of people recognize. I've definitely talked about it a lot on this podcast before. Uh, but sitting at number four, uh, not just one, of, not just my favorite indie game, but my favorite walking simulator game. What remains of Edith Finch? Oh, I actually do recognize this song. I mean, I played the game, but I, I didn't. I was saying, oh, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Um, Peter, you know the song? Well, no, but I was saying, Owen's played the game. I was like, what do you mean? Okay. The game isn't known for its soundtrack, for for what it's worth, but I this is, I'd say this is maybe a moment, but there's a lot of moments in this game. The whole game revolving around you playing as Edith Finch, going back to what is your family house, a house that looks like a a very whimsical house that has been built on itself. The heart barely looks like it should be standing, but it looks like it's ripped out of fantasy with all the construction that's been built on it over the hundred years that has existed of different family members who have lived here. And all of this whole family tree has been cursed that they die early deaths. And you start the game just going through the house, going through the rooms of your ancestors that have lived over a hundred years ago, that when they died, their rooms were locked away. No one lives in this house anymore. You're going back visiting it because this house is just cursed of all the death that has happened here. And when you go to each of the person's room, you find like a diary or an important thing and kind of like see the last moments of it from their perspectives, learn a little bit more about them, and then you see them ultimately die in these little vignettes that you kind of go through. All of them play very differently. Uh, almost kind of some of them play like almost like they're different genres entirely others not so much uh, but it's a whole game surrounded by the theme of just dying and being people being uncomfortable with uh, their own demise and like the whole idea that just like this is something we can't get away from some people dying at earlier ages younger older ages I know Owen said this moment that really rubbed him a wrong way where there's a whole vignette of uh of a child who's not even a year old and just seeing them die and playing from their perspective. And the way that they kind of do it is like this very, it's sugar coated uh, in this very whimsical way where the kid is taking a bath and like the kid, like the, it's playing with toys in the bathtub. And I know a Fantasia song even plays where it turns into like this magical sequence of what this kid is seeing, but ultimately it is portraying the, the, the child drowned in the bathtub ultimately. Uh, while the story is being narrated by the kid's father reading a divorce letter from uh, their wife at the time because this was the end of their relationship because a ch- maybe a child dying at that early of an age is not a good thing for a relationship. Very uplifting game. Yeah, it is It is a very... It's someone I, I really love very sad stories, and this is a game that is just covered with sad stories in it of people dying people kids and and a lot of these vignettes all these vignettes kind of have some sort of magical realism sense to them where you feel like something magical is happening but really at the core of all these things the magical elements are kind of surrounding just a very normal and explainable death to an extent some of them not so much you have to kind of do a little bit of digging where the very first one starts out with this one little girl who is just so so hungry and she's just eating everything and like it's just a story of like her turning into different animals uh and just eating 
uh, ultimately turns into her eating people. And then she passed away, and it is kind of loosely referencing because early on she's eating some things in the house where in the early 1900s kids were dying of mercury poisoning because they were eating things that surprisingly had mercury in them. Uh, just just ways that people were randomly dying at certain times uh, where one, one family member uh, murdered in the woods. She was a, a horror star actress, and just this, the story paints it as uh, this scenario where she was a, an actress as a child for her scream in horror movies. Eventually, as she grows up, doesn't have to scream anymore. And eventually, the story paints it as just like she's visited by these monsters for her scream one last time, and then they kill her. But in reality, it's like, no, she left the house. Uh, it, it, like, it, But reading between the lines in a lot of these stories is just telling you, like, no, she actually snuck out of the house and died in the woods, probably. Or maybe was even murdered from her boyfriend, who is a part of that story. Some of them, uh, reading between the lines. Others, not so much. Uh, but it like I, I love the fact that there is that element of magical realize, realism because there's a family member in the story who like kind of romanticizes the stories of these deaths. Uh, and it's a, it's a contrast to the bleakness of this game where some people uh, try to kind of look at the brighter sides of these kind of things, uh, making more comfort out of these really horrible, untimely deaths. Uh, it's, it's something I've sat with for so long of just how I even look at death. And how that kind of weighs on everybody. Some people super uncomfortable with the idea of just sitting that the fact that with every passing day we're going to die, we are slowly losing so much time. And the older you get, that can weigh on so many more people. But there's a lot of better ways to look at it. There's a lot of not so good ways to look at it. And it's it's something that is going to weigh on all of us. And this is a game that just I feel like is so uh so good at just talking about that the the uncomfortable and comfortable sides the way people even just try to make sense of it because it is such it can be such a heavy subject on people i i haven't really met anybody who loves this game as much as i do i know it's a super popular game but it's it's one i think about so so often this is a uh, it's very much in a similar territory as god of war ragnarok where it's a game i like and appreciate this one I I have more direct qualms with, but um, it's just not one of my favorites. Uh, but I think it does a lot of cool things, mm-hmm. and um, it doesn't necessarily surprise me that the cool things it does resonate with you a lot more than they do me. I just haven't met someone who loves this game like I do. I think... I don't think I've met anyone else who thinks this is the best walking sim, even. I think people would put Gone Home or Firewatch or another one above it, and those are, are good ones, but I just love all the different sequences that play super differently. Didn't even mention, I think, the one that is the biggest one where you're playing as Edith Finch's older brother, one of the last stories you get to the game. Who, Peter, do you know much about Edith Finch? No. Okay, so I'll tell the story then, just for your own context. Um, older brother who's really just kind of like a stoner, uh, chill guy, has to get a job, and you're doing a simulation of him. He works at, like, uh, like in a harbor, at a, and he's chopping the heads off of fish in this kind of, like, uh, assembly line kind of thing. And you're just slowly just, like, going through the motions of fish shows up in front of you, chop the head off, just the mundanity 
of this nothing job for this guy who doesn't care about it. And just slowly, the, the way the way he gets by the day is that he's kind of in his own fantasy world in his head throughout this. And like while you are playing the mundanity of just chopping the heads off, there's just this more artistic fantasy story that is popping up on the screen that you're also at the same time navigating through. Uh, just like sailing through things, walking through these kingdoms, telling the story of his own life, uh, ultimately leading to this one scene where you're no longer, as it goes on, you're no longer chopping the heads. You're just full on committed to the fantasy. And while this is happening, uh, the character's psychiatrist is narrating this whole thing about an untimely death, the unfortunate circumstance that's happened. And this, the way that this ends is that you're fully in this fantasy world, like what is a small thing happening on the screen becomes way more fully fledged, robust. You're in first person now. It's not just this thing displaying. There's a whole orchestra playing for this person. Uh, and just getting to the end of the story, it's just like you walk into this room, and at the very end of the hall, there's a guillotine. And you, this fantasy character of him puts his head in the guillotine, chops his head off, which is the implication that just came. He was tired of this job after a while. It wasn't doing anything for him, so he just kills himself on the job. It's a very heavy moment. There's a lot of really heavy moments in the game. Um, and this, this is definitely the heaviest one. They saved this one towards the end. But it is something... If I at least talk to this game with somebody, this is the one that really sits, sticks with people. For good or not. Some people just really not comfortable with it. Some people doesn't do too much for them. But they just think, oh, oh what is your himself. detriment to the game? Is that it's too heavy for you? Um... I guess technically, um, I don't know. I, I, the one that Mark pointed out that I struggled with was, was the infant dying. Um, just because like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really looking for that in anything. Um, I know it happens and it's tragic, but I, I don't need it depicted in any way, even if they do it in kind of a coy way. Uh, I definitely didn't get as much of the subtext out of these stories as Mark did. Um, but ultimately, like I said, it's a, it's a game that does cool things, but I don't know. Every single vignette showing the tragic death of someone isn't my cup of tea for sure mm -hmm. i think a lot of people it gets old after a while because it's just like oh well how do you think this thing is going to end of course someone's going to die some way um i know that wasn't a problem for me. i know even in the last of us hbo show a lot of people thought the show was repetitive repetitive in the sense that oh by the end of the episode whatever character they characters they have introduced are probably just going to die by the end of it and that was a big problem for a lot of people not a problem for me i don't know about you guys have you felt that way I, I did a little bit. I thought I thought it was a little bit of an issue with the show in that um, I I will say it quickly because I believe I said it on the pod before. But in a game, you spend a somewhat substantial amount of time with these these people that either go their separate ways or they end up dying in the game. In a TV episode, you you spend one like forty five minute to one hour period with them. It just feels a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely felt that quickness when I watched it. I don't know if it was an issue for everyone. But um, 
I thought that was a big point of difference between the game and the show. Hmm. All right. Is that what remains of Edith Finch, your number four? I think that's a close on it. It's a it's a game that's all about its themes that I feel like resonate really hard with me. Um, a game that I, I themes like themes like resonating themes in the game are some of my favorite things. I could ask her from a story, and Edith Finch just doubles down on that aspect, and that's a big part of why, especially because it's such a uh uh I don't want to say depressing. That's not the right word I want to use. Bittersweet are also not the best word, but it's <laughs> it's, it's only bitter. There's really only a lot of bitterness. There's kind of a sweetness at the end, but I don't think it really proves that, but I still get it. I I still feel that way. The bittersweetness at the end, I I still take it as a a positive thing, but that's also just coming from someone who really likes bittersweet, sad stories. I don't like depressing stories. There's a movie out there, um, Requiem of a Dream. Yes, a movie that's... I, I was recommended to me in college because it was such a depressing movie. I remember watching it, uh, the good friend of mine, and it, it was very much a depressing movie, but I didn't like it. Like I like a lot of other sad media because it is just innocent people getting torn apart ultimately. Not like physically torn apart, but just like they it is a tragedy of people sealing their own fates and just doing themselves dirty and it 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 sucks to watch. Whereas this one I felt like with Edith Finch, that's more, more trying to not just trying to teach like what we're requiem of a dream is like this is just people doing un- bad things, some naive, some not so much, and the bad things that happen to them because of that. Where this is just like this is a with Edith Finch is like this is something that happens to everybody. It's not about whether you're doing something poorly. This is just something we all have to deal with, and to some people, it's going to happen sooner than later, and that's hard to think about but that's it's just something we we kind of rock with and that's fine it's okay is there something more uplifting about that all right it is time for my number four one that will come as no surprise disco elysium baby fallout new vegas fallout new vegas hey there it is a game I've talked about plenty on this podcast. I won't kick into the full thing here because, I mean, there's a hundred episodes to listen to me talk about Fallout New Vegas and like half of them. Uh, but the long and the short of it is that this is my f- my favorite Fallout game, and. Um, a game that when I was younger really just tapped into my desire for replaying things. Uh, there's a ton of different routes you can take, a ton of different factions to side with. Everything, minus, I mean, like the very end, it always ends in a similar spot, but a lot of your journey will be incredibly different throughout the way. I loved Fallout 3, um, but this is a game that is ultimately superior. I I didn't actually face that fact for a long time um, because I Fallout 3 was just like 
such an early experience for me, of course it must be my favorite one. But they just do so many of the RPG things better in this game. And that's the biggest separating factor. Uh, Being able to go to Vegas is just cool. It's just incredibly cool. Um, And I try... I, it's been a long time since I've been able to do a full playthrough of this game. I always try to start one up. My problem is that I always try to start one up on my gaming laptop, and I just I simply don't play games on the computer like that. Um, but hopefully one day I'll I'll be able to do the like full modded playthrough I've always wanted to do. I've never I've never done it fully. I've done long playthroughs of partly modded but um never beaten the game never gone through all the dlc modded uh fallout new vegas is incredible i plan to win the predictions this year and showcase it to you guys and i would play along with you as well uh fallout new vegas that's all i got no one is surprised by that pick i don't think i wasn't sure if it was going to be one two or three so that's well, That's it's number four. Surprising, I was gonna... So I guess okay. it's surprising. I guess I am a little surprised. Mark, I know the rest of your top three. I actually don't mind. I know one game that's coming for Owen, and two are blanks for me for Owen. Okay. I, I figured as we get closer through my list, it might be a bit easier to predict it. But, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. All right. We can move on to Peter's number three. My number three. Owen, can you play Never Forget again? Yes, I can. Because <laughs> my number three. Give me. Uh, I need a second. I know that's why I'm sick. His number three. It is Xbox game. Three sixty. Xbox three sixty. We bought it game. at a game crazy at Hollywood Video. Hold on, hold on. Two thousand seven. Uh, also currently available on Game Pass is Halo 3. This game I'm going to get a bit deeper with this game. This, when I hear not only this song but other songs from Halo 3 but specifically Never Forget whenever I fondly look back on fun memories and the innocence of my teenage years and all of the weight that wasn't on my shoulders and the responsibilities I didn't have, I think of this song. This song defines for me when I first met Owen and Joe and James and several others who either are still with us or we're not friends with anymore. Halo 3 is a game I put literal hundreds and hundreds of hours into its multiplayer. In a campaign I have replayed I don't know how many times. In a game I've played with you guys and our other friends I don't know how many times. This game is why I love multiplayer gaming. I may not as much as I used to. But everything you could ever want from a multiplayer game you found in Halo 3. I feel bad for the Battle Royale kids. Because they'll never know. How good we had it with Halo 3. Owen talked a lot about it already, so I don't need to say much more, but just... This game is very near and dear to me. It always will be. 
And just like with Sunday when we went back and played it for a few hours with the Free Frost 2v2, it just reminded me of, yep, yeah, this game is still absolutely incredible. And that is why Halo 3 is my number three. You ever think that like the like when we were growing up, the people who would talk about how GoldenEye 007 like was the multiplayer game? Like this Halo is our was, this is our GoldenEye. It is exactly that. Except it's still playable. It is. Yes. It is. That is the big difference. <laughs> and, I, and I will say though, as much as I do love and cherish this game, and that I did play a little bit of Halo Infinite afterwards, it's like, man, that movement in Halo Infinite is a uh, really fucking good. Like, yeah. Like, like there's definitely some qualities. Like I, I, I was talking with a friend of mine before about uh, us doing even the last run that we're planning to do, and they they brought up like, oh yeah, I played Halo Anniversary, Halo One Anniversary with a friend not too long ago, and it's after a while just going through that campaign, they were pretty tired of it just because of how outdated it felt, and even just playing Halo Three in the past week, like I still like playing Halo Three. It doesn't feel like a bad game, but like if I do wish I could maybe play a version of Halo 3 where I could sprint, but or it would like, be a very different game. Or like, da or not, what's the word? When you're dashing, but you're crouching? Uh, sliding. Is it just dash? Yeah, sliding. Like, oh, I'd really like to be able to slide, you know, or just there's, there's not be times. so fucking yeah. stiff, or be able to actually jump on ledges and grab onto them. Like, yeah. that was a thing when we were playing Reach 3 and 2, even. It's just like, oh, no. man. Reach this is outdated in some ways, but I, I don't care. This is my number three favorite game of all time. That's not changing. Well, actually, Peter, you can't slide and you can't grab on ledges and reach. No, I said that when we play two, three, and oh, reach. Okay. I was like, okay, oh, yeah, I felt, I felt that with all of them. Pardon. I think of... It's, I mean, Halo Infinite, of course, has all these things, but if I ever play any Halo game, I at first I walk, I walk into it trying to play it like it's Destiny. Which does also have all those things, but I feel like most first-person shooters today have those things, so it's hard to coin those features to Destiny. But it's the first that comes to mind. All right, Mark, your number three. My number right. three is the last of the Nintendo sixty-four games making my list. All it right, is also, I don't know your top three. It is also the last. Of the Legend of Zelda games to make my top 10 list. All right, Persona 5 did not make it. Persona 5, I'll have to talk about it later. Um, but right now, this is a game that no matter what top 5 or top 10 I've ever put together, this game never leaves. Uh, Legend of Zelda, Majora's, of Ma Majora's Mask is what we're talking about right now. Another time loop game, uh, which plays a big part into why I like Outer Wilds is because this has always been one of my favorite games. Uh, very different, though. Uh, the, the things I love about it is, like a lot of the games I talked about before, creates a very open space that feels very lived in that you get to spend a lot of time in, and the more time you spend in it to kind of become more familiar with what's happening in it, with the people who live in it, uh, it's just very rewarding. Uh, when I think of the best side quest I've ever played in the game, I think of a side quest from this game specifically, which just involves around parent looking for their son. They give you a mask of the face of this kid, who isn't a kid, really. It's just the face of their son, just like this person has been missing. We want to find them. You go around talking to people with the mask on, trying to get some sort of insight. And this game revolves entirely around masks. Depending on what masks you're wearing, maybe someone says something different to you. 
maybe they don't say anything different at all. But just kind of going around trying to figure out what's happened to this person over the course of this game that is three days looping. There is this imminent doom. A moon is falling to the ground. A lot of people know the drill with Majora's Mask. Um, but it is another bittersweet kind of somber game. Sure, this game does have a happy ending eventually, like so long as you know you beat the game, everything you'll destroy the moon, everything continues forward. But uh playing the game in a sense where like this game was very difficult for me at the time. Uh I, I granted this is also one of the games I've played one of the most ever. Second most replayed game next to Ocarina of Time. Um just it's a game that just everyone in this world is kind of like dealing with some sort of strife grief or something uh and it is possible to kind of fix everyone's problems at some point in one cycle but there's going to be so many cycles you're kind of going through these people going through the same motions of something bad that is happening to them and you don't have the ability to save some of them yet just know that they're going to suffer a lot of these times and you just want to be able to help them but you can't yet uh, and just kind of learning what is possibly happening because everyone, almost everyone has something going on, whether it's a very mild problem, which would be a very extreme problem. Uh, and it just helps that because of this, it is just, it makes it that much easier to get to know and be more lived in, into this world. As someone who also just loves Legend of Zelda, this is just another Legend of Zelda games. On top of that, one of the things I think that's really cool about the Zelda games is all the other races that are in it. And this game just lets you play as them with all the masks. And another layer on that is not just you get to play as all the other races, but to do that, you have to uh, heal the the souls of these aching dead people who are have passed and they are struggling with grief, and you kind of become them. People don't see you as like, oh, you are Link, the Goron, Link, the Zora. It's like, no, you are the dead person brought back to life. And when you talk to people, you are now this person brought back, and that's how they see you, which adds a whole other kind of layer to this. It's just like, oh, you're not just link walking around you are masquerading as dead people talking to the friends and families of these dead people and seeing their reactions some n- none of them are like super extreme because of course at the end of the day this is still a nintendo game but like uh a lot of people who grew up with this kind of game i feel like to think about what is actually happening is a very defining experience and i think this game is a big reason why i really like a lot of the sad uh sadder stories the bittersweet moments really stems from my first time playing through this game because the the world in this game is just so uh well crafted to just find because it's not like these bustling cities necessarily it's these small towns with very few people living in it uh and just kind of their small stories uh was just something that i felt was uh very engrossing at the time and still something i love still a game i could easily play randomized not as easy to play randomized because not just are you like all the chests randomized, but certain things are only available on certain days. So just memorizing where all the items are on every specific day, it's a completely different game. But uh, something I love. It is definitely the game I love. The third most out there, Majora's Mask. Peter, I know you have feelings on it. Oh, and I'm curious how you feel about Majora's Mask or whatever you feel about it. I always got scared from the the scene when the dad is... You know, he's a mummy mm-hmm. and he comes out of the closet and the kid's like, ah, oh, run away. I'm like, hey, whenever you would play that growing up, I'd always turn around. He's like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. It's creepy. <laughs> okay. Um, it's a game I've never been able to play. I've always wanted to play it. Uh, I don't think any other 
first party gaming company has the balls to do what Nintendo did with Majora's Mask. And I, well, I mean, I guess we'll see with Tears of the Kingdom. I don't think mm-hmm. uh, Nintendo has the balls to ever do the equivalent of Majora's Mask ever again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I def I definitely don't think they will because in retrospect, this game was a, this is a game that was made in just a year. So like they put something together and put it out quickly. I think in retrospect, they realized maybe this game was a bit more depressing than we wanted it to be. It's very Even, depressing. It it is, and that's a big part of the charm and big why a big part of why a lot of people love this game. A lot of people are turned off by this Zelda game, especially Zelda fans, because of the time mechanics. They find it to be very stressful that they only have so much time to do anything at a given moment because so many activities are only available at certain times. And whenever you reset the clock, you lose all your money, you lose all your arrows, your bombs. You just got to go out and figure or find all that stuff again. Except there's a bank. You can put your rupees in a bank and it stays there. But um, people it, forget it about is the bank. The people do forget about the bank. It's a very important part of the game. But uh, it's it's strange to me that to a lot of people, this is a black sheep of the Zelda series, even though I think it is by leaps can, the best. It is the can, most unique. Can I like open up about this game? Yes. Because there are, well, this was my least favorite game of watching you play because of how depressing it was and, you know, how dark it was. There are moments in this game that still to this day really move me, and it does have to do with the fact of Link is basically wearing the faces of those who have died. And the moments that, there are two moments in particular that have stuck with me, and it's when you're, it's when you're the Zora. And you're playing with his band again. And it's flashing between Link playing his instrument. Then it goes to... Again, I do forget the Sora's name. Forgive me for that. When he's playing it. It's just going back and back and forth between the two. And you're just seeing that scene and like his girlfriend. Or is it his girlfriend? It's his girlfriend, right? It is. It's his girlfriend. And then the moment when you're the Goron and you go back and you find the kid because the kid's worried about his dad and then dad's been dead. The moments where Link is reconnecting with the fo- with the loved ones of those who've died when they figure out that, oh, you're not them, but you look like them. And that they get, the, they get to have those moments with their loved ones one more time, even though it's not technically them, but it's the closest thing they're ever going to get. I don't know why, but I think the game nails those moments so well, and they've stuck with me ever since. Yeah, that it's, sounds incredible. <laughs> there's there's a lot of really touching moments, like because when you meet a lot of the people, the, the first one because there's there's three masks, uh, three masks of transformation. You never really meet the first person. No, but you meet the ghost of the Goron. You meet the Zora as they're dying. You have to play a song that kind of like heals their soul. And there's like a, a cutscene that plays for it while the song of healing is playing of like their final moment. And it's uh, just kind of like a moment that puts them at peace because they're obviously going through a lot in those moments. And it's a, they're very memorable to me. All right. Majora's Mask. Mark's number three. 
Um, My number three. It's time. It's playing. It's oh, playing. wow. Okay. I should have guessed. Was this not on your guys' radar? It should have been. I just kind of forgot about it at this point. So my number three is Metal Gear Solid 2. Sons of Metal Gear Solid 2 is a game that, like, I almost struggle to articulate why it has stuck with me so much. Because I just know it. I, I just know that I love this game this much. I don't think I played it until about probably 2015, if I had to guess. So that would have left me, I would have been, actually it might have been 2014. I was probably 16 or 17. This is a game that had a high barrier of entry because I really wasn't used to playing older games at all. And even in the HD remasters of the game, it's still like pretty difficult to master the controls. I remember playing the tanker beginning where you're Snake and calling you up, Mark, like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, how can anyone <laughs> play this game? And you basically told me, like, just get through the tanker. It's going to be really difficult. But I swear to you, like, it'll just make more sense to you once you're through it. And that was completely true. And from there, I I pretty much rolled through the game. Um I just fell in love with all of the characters. I love Raiden. I love all of the uh, unique enemies. Uh, Solidus. I, I find Solidus very goofy in many ways, but that's like <laughs> part of the appeal of Metal Gear Solid. It has the Kojima goofiness and self-seriousness all wrapped up in this like cool kind of Mission Impossible-esque story. Um, I just love Metal Gear Solid, and this is my favorite one. Uh, it's a game... I I have actually never replayed this game, though I should. And I'm, I'm one of the few that can, because I actually own the HD remaster on disc. Can't even buy it anymore um, because of some licensing issues they had. This game, like, without emulating, is is borderline impossible to play right now. Um, I mean, even the first one's even more unplayable. A lot of the Metal Gear games are just lost to time right now. Yeah. One, Trapped on PS1, four, probably the least replayable. Yeah, four is, that. don't remind me, four not being playable on anything besides the PS3 is very frustrating. Insanity. It is insanity. It is I just can't. It's one of the biggest gaming franchises of all time, and we can't play it all. Are you kidding? Well, uh, I I've like written into podcasts about this, and they they never talk about it for some reason. Like, why aren't people making a big enough deal that one of the greatest gaming franchises ever is unplayable? You you can't play this game, this series, legally. You can't do it. Um, un- unless you find original copies and original working systems, pretty much. 
um, with the exception of if you have a copy of of the Metal Gear Solid Legacy Collection for the PS3, which is a release I think people often forget about. I have not forgotten, although I was never able to get it because I didn't have a PS3. Um, this uh, this franchise is just incredible. I love it. I I feel like this is a big us three franchise where yes it very much is we're the only people in our, in our friend group who've played these games and mark I, f- I feel like you you've let yourself forget about your love of these games to some mm-hmm. extent there was a time where metal gear solid 4 sat in my top five not to spoil anything really but i don't think we're gonna see it in the rest of my top five the, there was there was also a time where where a picture of solid snake was your laptop background I believe Solid Snake saluting, if I recall. Um, maybe. Wait, 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 wait. Or, Solid or, Snake? Or big, maybe it was I'm Big thinking, Boss. I'm thinking Big Boss at the end of three. Is that what you're thinking of? Or? It might have been. I, I, I think it was more of an artistic rendition of, of either Snake or Big Boss. I. Now, this is only a memory to me because... It was in an era where you were obsessed with the games and and you wouldn't stop talking about them to me and Peter. And you had your laptop out. You had a Metal Gear Solid laptop background. I'm telling you, you did. I I wouldn't say it's impossible. I Um, remember the the last background I had on that laptop, which is the one I still have now, is the Smash 4. uh, Smash 4 Wii U, all the characters, like an artwork that just kind of has everybody portrayed that is the last background I can remember, and I can't really remember anything before that, but I believe it, that that was absolutely something I did have. Um, And, I mean, you were a big part of convincing me to play the series, and uh, I thank you for that. It's one of my favorite series. I'm a defender of five. I love five. Even mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm not really a defender of the story. But I just think it's well, that's why game. you need to defend it. There's I nothing know. to defend with the gameplay. Yeah. What the I, fuck? I, no, the the only reason I claim that I'm a defender in that respect is that people people let themselves forget how great the gameplay is because they didn't. You're in a podcast mm-hmm. with two of those people. I know. Uh, I I, know. I I I'm just like I've said before. There's a lot of times where there's games where I have certain expectations, and because they don't meet my expectations, no matter how high, like I'll always resent them for it, and just. Not I resent. It, I resent Phantom Pain yeah, a lot. Not, admittedly, I do. Not just did it not meet my expectations, but it really let them I didn't down. Try despite. to, dude. It felt like I didn't fucking try to. Yeah, I mean, there's. It's not. I can't. It's not fair to me to say it didn't try to because of the whole story with Kojima versus Konami in the background. Like, I'm sure Kojima wanted to try something, but his hands were just so. Why is tied. Kiefer Sutherland here? I Why don't is he here? That. Where is that David Hayter? I would love to know why that's the case. I mean, like, the why game do you get Tony ta- Baker game to be an you... incredible revolver ocelot and to just have him be a fucking exposition machine and a gameplay t- tutorial? What are we doing? I don't know. What are we fucking doing? There's a lot of things. Like, that game just fails so hard to be a Metal Gear game, despite yes. having a couple of really cool scenes that I'm like, yes, this is a Metal Gear ass moment right now. But in the grand scheme of things, it's just, it's just like, it it almost feels like they'd forgotten what was so special about the series, despite making it an incredible open world game that just so happens to be Metal Gear Solid Five. One like, of the best things the game does is it solves a plot hole from Metal Gear Two. That's one of the best things. This, like, it's 
It's technically cool and helpful that it mm-hmm. does, but I'm not like blown away by that. Fortunately, we're here to praise Metal Gear Solid 2. Yes, which I will love to do. In the the last thing I want to point out about Metal Gear Solid 2 in my um presenting of it here is uh you guys probably remember this as being what one of my big moments from it. I just can't get enough of the snake and Otacon handshake that happened yep. in this game <laughs> after yep. something happened uh, as something tragic happens to Otacon and Snake is there to help him get back up and there's a handshake and the main theme music swells behind them as they do this it's just masterful a moment that sticks with me a lot is the conversation between solid liquid and solidus because it's the only scene in the entire series where all three brothers are in the scene at the same time and i wish we got i i i wish we got more of that because i i i'm rare in that i like solidus a good amount and I wish he was in the series more, but that's just me. I mean, there's a lot of other quote-unquote brothers that they had that just don't make it to the story. Yeah, but they're not the three. Like, the three iconic ones are Solid, Liquid, and Solidus. Which Solidus's name always bothered me. Not too much, but just like, why is it Solidus? Like, like we, Solid we and Liquid are so different, and Solidus. Like, it's like, there are other things you could have named him. I don't, I just, I feel like they're going for something and I just don't know what it is because it's like, it's not like a combination of solids and liquid because it's like dust. At the I, end. I feel like, like they the decided. And also, like, he's closer no, to no. Big Boss than either of them. So it's like, well, the whole, his whole appeal is that he's the closest they, clone of him. So they decided that they couldn't like do gaseous snake because that, <laughs> that's like just too stupid. It would be but also, Solidus is like really stupid as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I really, I still really like Solidus. I know no one really cares about him, but I, I, <laughs> I like Solidus. I like Vamp a lot, uh, in a weird way. I also like Fat Man, who is literally oh, Fat Man's great. He's just a overdramatic big guy wearing a trench coat, and he's fr- he fucking is just skating around on roller skates the whole fucking game, even his boss fight. And I just love the plot twist of this game of, oh, uh, like, Ocelot's trying to pretend that he's getting possessed by Liquid or that's his plan. And then he fucks up by actually getting possessed by Liquid. He's like, wait, what's happening? This isn't supposed to be happening. I just, I love how his stupid bullshit overdramatic plot is actually happening and he doesn't know how to combat it. I mean, if I was in his shoes, I'd be pretty confused that that was actually happening. I feel pretty grateful. I feel I would feel pretty grateful that people were believing that was actually happening to me from the beginning. But then it actually happens. And if I was even Snake or right riding in this cage, I would just be like, I don't know if I still believe you. (laughs) (laughs) But but no, like as much as we're like goofing around, like there's some really silly parts about this game. there's a lot of silly parts about the entire series, but like there's still a very. And then strong Kojima story. predicts the future. And then Kojima oh, predicts I mean, the future. 2003. Yes. In 2003. Like, 2003? Was it? 2000? It was 2001, actually. 2001. He predicts the future in 2001. That's mm. fucking scary. Well, I always and, and remember even, this game. Oh, go on. I was going to say, even at this point, everyone was really promoting the like Kojima's predict the future. Uh, pretty much during like covid times which mm-hmm. uh, i what he predicted in Metal Gear Solid 2 has been the case for a while 
and the scary thing is is that i feel like we're at a point now in actual life where like we're beyond that prediction that prediction came true and now we're in the next stage Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is worrisome but metal gear solid 2 great game I think as someone where Metal Gear Solid 2 is my favorite Metal Gear Solid also one of the like I, I don't want I don't talk poorly about the Metal Gear games because this is your moment you're highlighting it but this this is a series that was one of my favorites uh but then the more I thought about it I was I, I just as time came I kept poking so many more holes in it that it just uh stopped being some of my favorites i really want to replay that series so much because of it so much alongside another series two series that used to sit in my top fives that just are not there anymore that desperately need a replay i um i i think of you know some plot holes to some extent but also just like general weirdness or things that sometimes don't make sense in metal gear as like that's the equivalent of of bugs being a feature of like well that's just that's a, a kojima thing and that's what i signed up for mm-hmm. um and i i wouldn't want the like polished to death kojima game that mm-hmm. takes absolutely everything into consideration cuz that yeah. wouldn't feel right i think a big part of it also metal gear solid 4 has so many like fan service moments but there's a lot about the story and some of the characters even that make me appreciate the series less because it feels inconsistent. The biggest offender, which I I don't think there's a, a good reason for this. Maybe there is one out there and I'd love to hear it. It's just that snake in four feels like such a shell of who he was before. And I don't think there's really a good reason That's for the it. Point. He's old. But why? And, he's old and dying. What the fuck do you mean? Why? I don't know. He was doing so well before. Oh, a snake doesn't strike. That happens kind of... to every human being that's ever lived to an hey, old age on this earth. Some people look death in the eye and they're not scared at all. I figured snake. I'll be holding your fucking feet to the fire when you're eighty. It's true. It's true. But snake is not a finch. <laughs> Solid snake. Yes, is he not lives a finch. to thirty-five. He when he's he's old and gray when he's like in his hey, late twenties. Hey, some of the finches don't live to one, Peter. But snake is this not a is finch. A, this is an odd point. This is an odd criticism, Mark. It's, the it's entire game thing. is about this very point you're bringing up. But, like, he, he he also feels so absent in 4. Like, he's just, like, the guy who gets shit done. And, sure, he's dealing with the fact that his time is almost up. But it's just, the story just isn't about him. And I'm more complaining about 4 than I am 2. But because of, the, because of Snake and Metal Gear Solid 4, it makes me appreciate the steps before. Like, knowing that that is his ending... It just leaves such a sour taste in my mouth. And there's a lot of cool snake moments in Metal Gear Solid 4. This I, is I adore this the makes final. no fucking sense to me. We'll we'll talk about Metal Gear Solid again on this podcast. There's there's a lot here to unpack, and I'm not done with the series. We can do I, a replay. The three of us can do like a Metal Gear replay together, and then we'll have to that. find a way to play one because one is unplayable for multiple reasons. But we have a top ten to make, guys. Yes, Peter. Uh, it is time. For your number two. Oh, and I've already sent you a song. I have a feeling it's going to be the same as mine. Oh. It's Five Nights at Freddy's. 
My number two. Oh wait. Is Mass Effect two. <laughs> Mark, you you know what the song is. I do. I do. I thought this was. Do. I for a second I thought this was the song that plays when you run out of time in Five Nights at Freddy's, but now I know what it is. This song is one of the best songs in games. Let's just make that clear. But Mass Effect two. It's just one of the best games ever made. Just straight up. It's a, it's an opinion that many people hold, and it's facts. And replaying it alongside James and experiencing it with Joe for his first time in 2021, hit home that like, nope, this is one of the best games that has ever been made. Where the fuck do I even begin with Mass Effect 2? I don't know. What your favorite shop on the Mor- uh, the Normandy is. Or the Citadel, pardon me. Like, just... I don't even want to say spoilers, because I need more people to play Mass Effect 2. I would- Oh, and I need you to play Mass Effect 2. This is one of my favorite endings in games. Mark, uh, just picture the scene that's happening while this song is playing. Now, I don't... I don't know exactly how beat for beat how this goes down but I feel like this is a moment in Mass Effect 2 that has been talked about so often that uh, I I feel like I know essentially what happens. Oh I mean again also, you can look at the name of the song. It's the suicide mission. It's yeah. the final mission in the game. It's now there is a glaring issue with the gameplay wise but narrative it's fantastic. But this Oh my god, Mass Effect 2, the fucking journey you go on, the characters you meet. Tales from the Borderlands is my favorite cast, Mass Effect 2 is my second favorite cast. Oh my god, how unique and characteristic and varied the crewmates are, and Jacob. Like, they're all just so great, and Jacob is also there. I just... The fucking loyalty missions is a gameplay feature that is so fucking awesome and i wish more games did it but if they're gonna do it they better do them as well as mass effect 2 did oh my god the music the settings the fucking locations garris vicarian is in my top five video game characters of all fucking time i love garris so goddamn much man legion grunts Jack is great. I know some people like I do really like that. The fucking Tali, dude. Tali is so good. And then my shepherd. I love my shepherd so much, man. Thane Morden. Oh my god. And you even have other beloved characters from Mass Effect who aren't there this time around. I still love them. Like, fuck, man. The gameplay is improved. The gameplay is very much improved upon one, but it still feels like more of an RPG. Whereas three just full blown feels like a, a full blown third person shooter. Whereas two is able to walk full, you know, you know, just you know, it's it's able to walk both seamlessly. The choices you make in this game can greatly affect the rest of your playthrough, and to me, they are meaningful. They do matter. Oh my god, I want, I want a like physical normandy statue at one point in my life i love it so much and you, then you get like fucking also real actors like seth green who are in the entire trilogy you play joker and joker's fucking fantastic and joker has one of the best mass effect moments in this game and i don't know one of the best but it's just one of the like biggest like oh fuck moments in the mass effect trilogy and it's from fucking joker 
Oh my god, I love Mass Effect 2, man. I fucking love Mass Effect. I do really love Mass Effect 3 and 1. I love all three of them. But 2 is just like objectively like, oh, this might be the best game I've played. Except for number 1, of course. I think to, to look back earlier when we said Xenoblade has the best world in games, I agree. But when I say that, I always have to mentally close my eyes and forget about Mass Effect. Yeah, <laughs> yep. really... Mass, Mass Effect is the best world building I've ever seen in it's a game. Like really, I, yeah, the best world building with all the lore inside of it. There's a lot in there, and you don't have to engage with all of it. But if you it's choose to, I don't. I don't qualify myself as a sci-fi expert, but it's like. Damn, this is probably my favorite sci-fi world ever put together. Yes. So very interesting Fucking of all these different yes, cultures man. coming together and the histories of these cultures coming together where you kind of get glimpses of it. And you can't really put everything together. What's kind of happening? Like the game is never really about fully understanding the cultures and the histories, but it's all there in the background. Like I feel like so many media things that like maybe Star Wars, but I just I feel like Mass Effect has a better so many times when you have like space like genres in space and this sort of this genre, all of the different races are just vaguely human like. So many of them, a majority of them are just like slight twists on humans. Where Mass Effect, they're all the races are so vastly different. And I love it so mm-hmm. much. And there's so much to learn about all of the races as well. They're all so different from one another. Just fucking mass effect like and if, if if hbo greenlit a mass effect series oh my they god. would have oh my god they would have so much that is a show that could be that could go on for 10 or 11 seasons and there is that mm-hmm. much there is genuinely that much material there is that much material honestly i bet if andromeda never existed we would have a confirmation that that show would be in existence. If we were still riding off the goodwill of Mass Effect and it had its reputation, something like that would be in production and people would know about it. Like, I talk about, oh, a sci-fi, like, a Destiny sci-fi show, like, just because it's a sci-fi show and after PlayStation, but, oh my god, the number one with a bullet, you want a successful TV show, you do a Mass Effect show, and you have the original writers of Mass Effect 2 come back, man. Oh my god, this game is so fucking good. There's no, there's nothing bad about this game. I'm sure there is. I don't care. There's nothing bad. This game's so fucking amazing. This is probably obje- objectively the best game I've ever played. Objectively mm-hmm. the best game I've ever played. I think the only cons I hear regularly about this game is like, oh my god, Probing Planets was so boring. And Probing Planets like... is kind of boring and genuinely Jacob sucks. Jacob what does the... Jacob is awful. Jacob is arguably the worst crewmate in 1, 2, I and think, 3. I think he's fine in 2. He's okay. He's easily like tears behind everyone else. And then you play but Mass Effect 3. 3. You see what everyone else has done. And it's like, Jacob, you're still in the same fucking clothes from 2, dude. Like, you're still change. in the same clothes. And you're only the, you're the only person that canonically cheats on Shepard if yes! you choose to romance you're him. Th- he's a cheat. Like, he's the, everyone else. Like, everyone else, you don't see them for years. They're like, I waited for you. I'll always wait for you. I love you. I'm with you till the end. Jacob's like, eh, sorry, I fucked around. His line, like, his line no, is literally are... just like, you didn't think I'd wait for you. Which, which like, in, I guess. Like, I did, Jacob. Everyone else did. What the fuck, man? There is something to be said about that perspective, you know? But at the same yeah. time, it sucks. It's also not a good look that the only black guy in the game is the one who's cheating at you. There's, there was a contention well, behind no, that oh, as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, actually, when it was like, no, there was like, oh, I know, he really is the only one, like, black mm-hmm. crewmate. Are we ending on that statement? <laughs> <laughs> the Mass Effect 2 is a very special... Anderson is a great friend. but He's a great father figure. Yes, he is. And also, oh my god, I didn't even fucking talk about the elusive man. The fucking elusive man played by Martin Shane. He's so amazing. Great antagonist. Great antagonist throughout the series. Yes. Yes, he's not as good as in 3. He's not as good in 3. But, oh my god, Elusive, elusive Man, Mass Effect Mass Effect 2 Elusive Man is one of my favorite villains in games. Maybe. He is I... so fucking remarkable. Oh my god, I could say so much about the Elusive Man. And I, I hope I will one day. I forget the name of the villain from the first game. It starts with an S. Saren. Saren. I almost said Sauron. I was like, I know no. that's not right. That is not this game. But no, even, I even like so I, I like Saren. I like the Elusive Man. I like the Reapers. The Reapers are really fucking good. Through the Reapers, the Reapers end up being like the White Walkers are active. You know, the White Walkers. What they, oh, they, they, they led up to be in Game of Thrones, and then in, in Mass Effect, they really are. What they are. They are the threat be. that you. Yeah, the, when the Reapers show up, and when they are actually, we're gonna fight. It's like no, they are just as scary and bad as mm-hmm. they have been portrayed to be. The Reapers are what the White Walkers wish they were. Oh my god, yes. Even at the end of Mass Effect. I don't get too spoilery. Maybe I'll no, but just because but... I don't want to. But just, I could say so much more. I fucking love Mass Effect. is one of my favorite series of all time. I love Mass Effect. I'm getting like almost choked up a bit because I'm thinking about all the moments of Mass Effect that just mean so much to me and affected me so much. I fucking love Mass Effect. I violently love Mass Effect 2. Oh my god god and i'm just so happy that i still do when i replay like am i gonna still like it as much and all these years later i fucking do i still i still fucking love it as much as i did 10 years ago oh and give us your mass effect take now i uh, one never clicked with me i tried it many times i have not tried it since the legendary collection and i will try it again that's my only mass effect take Elevators um, were really bad, guys, on the three. Hey, in one, now they're not existent in one. They fixed that in the Legendary Edition. Perfect. So That's I have number a number two. two. I have a number two, and I'm just going to throw it out there. I got a good feeling. Peter is number one. Isn't it Owen's turn? No, it's my turn. Yeah, no. Oh, you're right. I always go after Owen. That's why I got it confused. All right, I'm sorry. I don't want you to reveal it yet, Peter. There's a chance that it isn't. It's a 50-50 here. But uh, my number two right here, a game all of us have played. I feel like a lot of listeners of this podcast, if not every listener of this game, has probably played this game. I think it's safe to say, you know, or at least know about it. I can't believe it. Can't I believe can't it? believe this. You, you can't that believe it. That is not it. his number one. I am shocked. It's 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 here at number two. We're talking about Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. This was probably the hardest decision of my list of picking Ultimate or Brawl, and we've talked about it even in the podcast before about how those two Smash games are definitely the most special. But I had to side with Ultimate, uh, just because the thing I love about Smash Brothers more than anything is just not just is it a fun game. I love playing the game, of course. But just seeing the representation of so many games come together, someone who's such a huge fan of games, 
a huge fan of the game's history and just seeing how all the smallest things from each series that is a representative of the game, whether it is playable character, background asset in the stage, spirit, trophy, whatever collectible they got in a Smash game, you name it, uh, just seeing how it is put together uh, and assembled here is something I adore about the game. Uh, and this one just easily has the most series represented. All the all the characters have a classic mode, which kind of tries to resemble their game and the journey of their game to, to the best they can. Some are cooler than others. Some are very, very cool. Uh, and I've just been a lifelong Smash Brothers fan. And to, this, was, this was a journey, ultimate. The farther we are removed from the game kind of like actively being updated, the more I think I realize... I I will like this one more than Brawl. Brawl was a moment. Brawl was where I feel like the the hype train that Brawl is was a Smash revelation. It was the way people talk about Woodstock. We talk about the Brawl hype, and we will for the rest of our lives. I think you're right. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Um, but ultimate's like the the accumulation of that. You know, like it is the end goal. We, a lot of the things people were dreaming of and hyping for, they all except for one, really, uh, came to be. Rest in peace, Gino from Super Mario RPG. Every, we got every, everyone else though made it. Everyone else made it. The Isaac fans are crying as we ignore them. They were they were never enough. They were never enough, and they know they were never enough. I feel for them. Sometimes, most of the time, but there are times I don't. But uh, I feel like Smash Brothers is a game that every like five episodes we just go on a tangent about. So I don't want to go super crazy about it, but. I am a big Nintendo guy. This is a game that's all about celebrating Nintendo, plus more about games. And I also have 2,300 hours in this game. 2,300? That's just logged on my console, at the very least. I've always wondered how many hours I have in Brawl. Like, my memory tells me I have more than that from all the time I'd spent playing Brawl, but I probably don't, if I'm being honest. Smash Ultimate's been out for a couple years, so... I think, I think I probably have more in Ultimate, but yeah, I don't. I don't. There's probably only like one other game I have more hours in than Ultimate. Um, and number one is Mabinagi. I was about to say no, Mabinagi. No, no. <laughs> we have more. We have more to talk about. I'm not going to reveal my number one just yet, but um, Smash Ultimate easily my number two. They put Sora in the game. I think about it every day. I'm so and... happy I got to witness that reveal trailer with other people mm-hmm. who could be there for their... I screamed. I couldn't... I, I, I thought... I, it's, whenever people say this, they, I, I'm sure you did. Genuinely, in the moment, I thought I was dreaming. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fake. I couldn't believe it. I still, I still of, can't believe it. I still think of the Kazuya reveal, too. And the people around me at the time said I looked so disappointed. Like, I, I was so let down, I remember. And I, I didn't think I was very let down, but there's just... I didn't know who Kazuya was until that reveal also. I knew Tekken. I assumed it would be Hayachi who gets I also thought Tekken. it would be Hayachi, but it was like, Kazuya. It's like, oh, like, okay. Oh, who's that? I'm I guessing know, this is Tekken, but who's that? And I know all this. I know the... I know, all like, most of the Mortal Kombat characters. I know most of the Street Fighter characters. I don't know shit about Tekken. I don't know any Tekken. Well, fortunately for you, I am the local Tekken lore master of the podcast. So you if you ever needed to know more. Tennis. Favorite sport. Tennis. Favorite sport, of course. Um, okay. I have a suspicion, a guess, that 
this might not be the end of the Smash conversation. Possibly. No, uh, no one can Yeah, yeah who knows, huh? Um, so I'm going to give my number two. And the, this is going to be a really quick one to explain. Because I know what it is. Because my number two is Rocket League. Rocket League, yep. Hey. Um, this is another one that shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. I talk about it plenty. Um, Rocket no League music? is... Uh, unfortunately, no, because Rocket League is mostly dominated by just kind of like it's relatively generic, like techno EDM music, which I enjoy while playing the game. But that, that's not why I'm playing the game. Why I'm playing the game is it's just the perfect combination of my love of sports and my love of video games. Uh, it is not like I'm playing Madden or something where it's some one-to-one representation of a sport and they either do it poorly or not. And no matter what, however they do it, you, you just have to deal with it because, uh, there's only one option. Rocket league is a game that more than any other game is the easy to learn, difficult to master philosophy. It wasn't until 2020, I think, where, I mean, I realized that I always loved Rocket League, but I didn't realize that I loved it this much. And the thing that changed for me was that I really started dedicating time to it and like looking up content of how to get better and improve at Rocket League. And I saw those improvements and that was a very big deal for me being able to, uh, realize like, Oh, if I just dedicate the time, I can actually get better at this game. Um, I love Rocket League. It is a surprise to no one. I don't have to go on about it forever. Play Rocket League. I've I've never been able to find a, like back when it first came out. We we played it as friends. Nowadays, no one, no one plays Rocket League with me. But I don't care. I just play it anyways. I sent you a song, Owen. That's maybe appropriate for Rocket League. No, arguably <laughs> that's not. That's okay. Song. It's just it's, it's arg- just car noises. <laughs> <laughs> It's the best I got for you. All right. So before we get into our number ones overall, we want to do a quick list off of honorable mentions, eliminate some of these ones that maybe you've heard us talk about a lot, but you're not hearing about yet. Give them their kudos and move forward. All right, Peter, you can start with honorable mentions. So... Four of these are not numbered. One of these is because it it came incredibly fucking close of making the top ten. I had to really fight. I I had to fight whether or not I was gonna add it. Uh, first uh, honorable mention is Brutal Legend, mm-hmm. game that means a lot to me. Really does. But I replayed it three uh, two years ago, and there were a lot of holes and things. I looked back and I went, "Ooh, this is not as good as I remember." I, mean, I am nostalgic about this game. Like the reason this game means so much to me is nostalgia. If I played it today, I would think it's pr- it's fine. It's fine to good. 
but there are a lot of issues in the game, both of a gameplay and like narrative and story. It's like, oh, but Brutal Legend, I really, I, I, I love this game. I hope they make it too. Now that Double Fine is owned by Xbox, and Tim has said that out of all the games he's made, that Brutal Legend has been the most like passion project of his. So I hope he's able to make a second one. Doom Eternal. Oh, okay. Whoa, you said we're... Okay, no, go ahead. I I was just going to make the comment. You mentioned how Ori is your favorite Xbox character, but in time, Eddie Riggs could be your favorite Xbox character. Eddie Riggs, no, (laughs) replaying that game, yeah. Replaying that game is like, Eddie Riggs is not one of my favorite characters. (laughs) I I, I like, yeah. I like Eddie. I like him, but Mm -hmm. just, he's, you know. 2026 Eddie Riggs, though, maybe. He could be, you know, but... Mm -hmm. Doom Eternal... Another honorable mention that, you know, almost made it. Great, great game. Oh, my God. I still think about Doom Eternal, how much fun. It's another, it's a, It's like a lesser situation of Ori where Doom 360, oh, yeah, that's great. That's great. Great game. You should play it. Doom Eternal, it's like, oh, my God, you have to play this game. I am, I'm definitely, I, I don't know if I'm going to replay 2016. I'm going to replay Doom Eternal several times. Just fantastic. One of the best games Bethesda's ever published. Just gameplay out the fucking ass. But one thing that holds it back is it's like, well, 2016, we prided ourselves in not telling a story. Now we're going to try here. And it's like, but but what? This isn't why I loved you. This isn't why we got together. What what, what are you becoming? Uh, God of War 2018. Great game. Used to be on my top 10. And then I had to think about, like, is it still in my top ten? I still love it a lot. But then I just saw how, how Ragnarok was was so much better in every way from this game. And I had to think to myself, like, I don't want two God of War Ragnaroks on this list. I do still love 2018 a lot, but I don't I don't want both of them. And I did think about how much I love, like, God of War Ragnarok is everything I loved about 2018, but more. And I thought to myself, well, I don't need that exact feeling twice on this list. So... Got over 20 teens and I will mention Pokemon Emerald. Pokemon Emerald was another one that was on my top 10 for a long time. But then it just got pushed out for newer games and made me think like think back at all the ones. Pokemon is still a series that means a lot to me and I do love it very much. And Pokemon Emerald is my favorite Pokemon game. Now this final one. The game the, the <laughs> that came very fucking close. I'm playing, I'm sending a song to Owen because that's how much I love this game and I do want to give it a bit of the top 10 treatment, but not really because it didn't make it. I hope it's Owen, Wii Sports. God, I hope Owen, it's Wii Sports. Owen, please play the music. Let me explain. My number 11. Wait. That almost fucking that came inches, centimeters close. I don't know what this is. Is Astro's Playroom. Oh! Guys, this is my favorite 3D platformer I've ever played. Ever? Yes. I had to have like a heart-to-heart with James about this one night. Because I was like, James, I think all the signs are pointing. And he's like, no. Because when I sent him, I sent him, I was on uh, Discord with him and Aaron. And I sent them the list, and the first thing they were like, James was like, what the fuck is this doing here? And I was like, I, <laughs> I know, I know, James, I know. I, I don't know, guys. This is my second favorite PS5 game. I like this more than Horizon, than Rift Apart, than Sackboy Big Adventure. I adore Astro's Playroom. 
I love it more than Jack. I love it more than Spot. I love fucking Dratchet. I love it more than Sly. I don't know what it... I don't... I don't know. I don't... Like, don't get me wrong. If a new fucking Sly or Jack are announced, I'll lose my shit. If we get another Ratchet, I'll be really excited. I'm not saying that... I'm not saying I love Astro as a series more. I never played... Uh, what's the... As the... Uh, his mission. Why don't I, the, the VR one. I never played. But... Astro's Playroom... What I've said on the podcast, and what I'll say, it's like saying your favorite food is like glucose corn syrup. The shit that, like, does that make sense? Like, well, no, that, I'm not, that makes I'm it not sound entirely. Horrible. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what you mean, but I'm listening. You have my attention. When I Keep say going. it's like someone saying their favorite food is glucose corn syrup, because it's like saying what makes food taste good. It's like the essence of food itself. Well. Okay. Yeah, I understand. Well, I, I think understand. I think as someone who's only dabbled in Astro Player, I think there's a little bit more love, like grandma's warm cookies in there that just have like mostly yeah. chocolate yes, chip. Be, and there is, and you, that's perfect. That's perfect there because you then you have the entire history and celebration of PlayStation as a whole in there as well, where it's like I feel like Astro is the core of why I love 3D platformers. It is the core ingredients of why I love Mario. Of why I love jack and sly and ratchet it is just like 3d platforming grinded down to its bare materials in and on paper that sounds negative but i assure you it's not this game makes me happy just to my fucking in my heart in my soul i am enlightened whenever i play this game i turn it on i still play it a lot if i'm ever waiting for dinner to cook and it's like oh, i don't really feel like playing it's like oh i'll just replay level in astros or i'll just walk around in astros or i'll just have it on for ambience or music and just look at it i just again i look at i look at astro and i hate and i say the phrase that i hate people whenever they tweet it but like i love video games so much and i look at astro and i just like oh my god I can't talk enough about this game. And I will, because again, I don't know much, it's not going to get the length that the others did, but it nearly beat out XCOM and Kingdom Hearts 2. It came close, but it's like, I can't in good conscience put this on my top 10. I can't do it. I really wanted to, but I stopped myself because I knew it would be like, because... I would get red. I would get just eyes like cartoonish, like like Looney Tunes eyes popping out of skulls. I know that I would have, and I held back. But I'm not lying when I say how much I fucking love Astro's Playroom. Peter, I need you to turn in your Nintendo badge. Uh, you're no, no longer I understand. Nintendo. I understand. Fan. No, Mark, really, though. No. And again, I fucking love. I love the 3D Mario's. I really do. And again, it's not 2D platformers. I'm not. I'm. I'm saying 3D platformers. Just what do you think is your favorite 2D platformer? Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Okay, good answer, for my friend. Yeah, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze is my favorite 2D platformer. That's not a question for me. But guys, I just I love I love Astro's Playroom. It's so good. It's so fun. And then I've gone back and listened to like. Or, like, watch Jeff Grubb and, like, Dan Riker talk about it because they also... Like, Astro, I think, made Jeff Grubb's, like, top 20 favorite games of all time. No, so it's, it's, not it's just... made your top 11. Yes. And I just... Guys, you, I, don't own, I know you like this game not nearly as much as I do. Like, I have a, another friend of ours, and she recently got a PS5. She's like, I wonder what I'm playing. I just take, like, Astro's Playroom. Astro's Playroom. Fucking play Astro's Playroom. 
And that's it. That's all I'll say because it is 11. It did not make the top 10, but just guys, fucking Okay, I'll go through mine. I've got a couple. I came into this podcast with zero honorable mentions, but was able to dig, dig up a couple that I know are pretty close. Maybe there's other games that maybe come closer than these, so I'd have to really think about it, but these are the ones that come to mind. Uh, first one, not if, you, if you've listened to at least one previous episode of the podcast, you'll know I'm a big fan of Nier Automata, and that's a game I would give an honorable mention to, a game I really, really like. doesn't make it into the top ten. If you want to know why I like it, We've got a couple episodes on that. Not too, You don't have to scroll too far down through the, the podcast feed to find them. But uh, we talked a lot in depth about that game recently. Another one I'm going to give to is the very first Life is Strange. A game I really like. A game I really like characters and story for. Very cool mechanic that ties it all together. Uh, I, I I just was really a fan of uh, what, what to me was a big step forward in a Telltale formula. With characters I like, and there's a lot of music in that game. I also really like. I think uh, the Life is Strange uh, games tend to pick a collection of some pretty good soundtracks, like uh, music from a lot of indie bands, some bigger pop bands, or some indie rock bands just out there that set the scene, set the mood that I I have gotten really into over the years. Uh, I think True Colors is way better at that than say Life is Strange's, but Life is Strange still has some bangers in there. Uh, next one, I feel like this is one I don't think people would see coming. Uh, Bravely Default on the 3DS is a game I really, really like. Yeah, that does surprise me. Um, it's a it's an RPG that I think is uh, very, very strong. Before we had Octopath Traveler, uh, we had Bravely Default. It had a lot of really cool jobs. The Brave and Default system, which ultimately gets transferred over to the Octopath Traveler games without the defaulting. Uh, just really a really creative way that uh, they spin turn-based combat. Story is mostly fine. The characters are fine. Soundtrack is bangers. And the big thing I like the most about this game uh, is this game, this series. I've never played Bravely Default 2, but the first two games like to turn uh, the games on their head at some pivotal moment in the story that asks the player to figure out one big meta puzzle. Where in the first one, you're going to... I'm going to spoil both of these games, Bravely Default and Bravely Second. But in the first one, uh, ultimately, the whole game is about taking your party to the four crystals at the corners of the world, reactivating them, uh, and then a beam of light opens up in the world. You go in there, and you should have saved the world. The crystals have been reawoken. But once you go through that light, you just notice, oh, you're back at where you exactly started. The crystals are all dark again. Um... You're at the very beginning of the game, but everything that you've gone through before is just a little bit harder. Um, and there's like what has always been a cutscene sequence in the first game. Uh, just you uh, take one of your party members, they restore the crystal. But in these subsec, uh, these these other playthroughs, arguably playthroughs, not real playthroughs, um, you have the option to when this cutscene's happening, you can keep pressing the X button to like keep charging these crystals to shatter them and. That is how you actually beat the game, is that you have to try to figure out in these sequences where you're being misled. The person who is guiding your party is actually tricking you into restoring these crystals over and over again, and every time you restore these crystals, you are dooming a timeline and feeding it to a demon. Uh, and in the other game, there's a moment, there's a mechanic that freezes time. You have to freeze time in a very specific boss fight late in the game, and if you don't, the boss fight uh, will reset the whole game, oh, <laughs> and you have to play the that. game again. <laughs> into infinity. It is the thing where it's like on paper, 
not design friendly, but I admire them for that so, so much. Um, and I never played Brief of Default 2, so I'm very curious. I imagine they're three for three on doing something where you think outside the box on how you have to beat the game. Uh, and I, I really, really like it. Does it? It's probably sitting somewhere towards like the 15, 16, but it is a 3DS game I hold uh, very dear. Um, another one I'd give is to a game called Mabinogi, which is a Korean MMO by Nexon that is dead by any means, but it was my MMO of choice back in the day. I don't want to talk too much about it because it's, it's a messy, not great game. And anything I'd have to describe it will just sound like it's a bad game. But it is an MMO I played a lot of, and I can't not give it an honorable mention. I have two more to give, or, or technically three. Not going to go too deep into them. It's just, this is the list of, if I played these games again, maybe they would make the top ten. And the two I would list here, Red Dead Redemption 2. I need to play that game again. I have strong feelings about it. No surprise to listeners to the pod, but I can't wholeheartedly put it on my top 10 list without a replay. And the other one goes to Mass Effect 2, a game that used to sit in my top four a long time ago, but as strong feelings as I have about the world of Mass Effect, the game itself, I feel like I need to revisit to confidently throw it back into the top 10. You should join them. We might be able to pull something off there. Um, the last game I list here is the category of could be in my top 10 after I play the story DLC they're adding in six days is Xenoblade Chronicles 3, a game that has sat very, very well with me. The biggest problem I had with it is that I thought the ending was kind of uh, weak, and there's a couple of plot lines that they just kind of left up in the air, but this DLC is looking to maybe pick up a lot of those and maybe even appreciate the ending more. And if all those things are satisfying because of this DLC on top of just fan service. It looks like it's going to be crazy off the top uh, in this DLC is that the, that that's the whole package of Xenoblade Chronicles three. I could maybe comfortably place it over Xenoblade Chronicles one. Cause even with the faults I have with Xenoblade three sits pretty close to Xenoblade one. Uh, but this DLC, I'm put, my my hopes are very high for it. Uh, it has the potential to be my, the best. My hopes game. are high for it too. As it's so, what this tells me team. is that either Persona Five or Kingdom Hearts One is not even an honorable mention for you, and that is shocking to me. You'll have to stay tuned. That is shocking. Well, my honorable mentions. I'm basically going to explain none of them with with very few exceptions because I have I have more games to list than both of you guys. So I'll I'll save some time here. Uh, we have SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom. Let's go. What are we doing here? All right, let's, let's the, that, fucking that's, go. That's one of my number one. Like, uh, if if I was being true to childhood and nostalgia, I, I put that there. Did um, you get rehydrated by way? By the I, way, I never did, but I've thought about it. Okay, fake. it was free on PlayStation Plus last You're year. Fake. Oh well, then I missed it. Damn, well, I, if I had known you felt that way about it, I would have added you and been like, "Hey, get this." Okay, I have Call of Duty Black Ops. I have Grand Theft Auto 4. I have Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Mm. Love me some Mario Kart 8. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey's on my honorable mentions. I already mentioned Red Dead 1. Minecraft. A lot of good times in Minecraft. Can't, can't forget those. 
I think that's the biggest surprise from both of your guys' lists is that Minecraft wasn't on either of your lists. It could be your guys' number. I mean, it could I be Peter's But number. that's where I, again, and like, I didn't even mention, like, again, I, I was my favorite 2D of all time. I fucking adore Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. There are a bunch of other games I really, really love, mm-hmm. but it's just there's only so many spots. And now, by honorable mention, it's going to be way bigger of games I feel it's just or nearly mm-hmm. as strongly of, of those five. But maybe not Astro, but the rest of them. But just. Not everyone can make it. Um, then I have Portal 2, Fallout 3, uh, Pokemon Platinum version. Why do you sound surprised by that? Uh, uh, I, Platinum? No, I... Well, for one, I'm looking at Diamond on my screen, but then I realized, like, oh, Platinum would be more proper to say because I played a lot of both of them, but Platinum is just the better version. Um... Bully, um, Gone Home, mm-hmm. and then these two were really close to making the list. I had the original Star Wars Battlefront 2, which is, uh, that would be a big nostalgia pick, but also uh, a game that I do think is great and was so poorly represented in its reboot. Um, I, I actually... The, the rebooted Battlefront 2, I actually think is, uh, nowadays, after they fixed everything, a solid game. It's not, it's not a Battlefront game. It's not, it doesn't do anything like Battlefront did back in the day. But um, it's a fine game. Uh, Battlefront 2, really, uh, almost nothing can scratch an itch like it today. And I... I don't even know if I have a way to be able to go back and play it, honestly. I should look into that. And then the a fairly recent game, for me anyway, that was on my top ten a lot of the time, but I ended up removing it, was uh, Dark Souls. Dark Souls over Elden Ring for me. Mm-hmm. This game ultimately... Uh, clicked with me more, I guess. I mean, Elden Ring's great. And also, Elden Ring is objectively better, like mechanically in many ways. But it, it's it's the locations of Dark Souls that really take it, and the general map structure and how everything interconnects. When I, when I played that game, it was like I I couldn't think about anything else. Um, in fact, in a few more years, maybe I play it again. It could very well be on this top ten list. It, it almost was, but for now, it is not. I was thinking Elden Ring was going to be number one. Not going to lie. Oh, yeah, no, not even an honorable mention. Okay. So, that's that's that crazy. Again? I missed that. I, I did, wait, I, I dozed off there. What was it? I said Elden Ring's not even an honorable mention. Oh, wow. Actually, I'm surprised by that. Um, All right, it's time for our number ones. Peter. Peter, tell us about the We Vote channel. I'll definitely do that. Owen, could you play the music again? Again? Um, Yes. You know what music. Yeah, you already know. Halo 3 again, baby! It's very quiet. I don't know why this one's quiet. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is my favorite game of all time. Smash Bros. is a game, unlike... I mean, I would say, like, a part of my personality is Smash Bros. Genuinely. I don't have as I would argue I don't have as many gameplay hours 
Ismark does, but I love Smash so much, I have probably as much if not more hours of watching competitive tournaments, going to locals, and even one time going to, like, seven, like, driving to Virginia with a friend to go to Super Smash Con Fall Fest in 2020, or 2021. This franchise means so much to me. It is... There are a lot of times I have, I have to kill like an hour or two, or you know, I just only feel like playing in there, and I'll just play Smash, I'll play like NPCs, I'll do like classic mode or something, and I am just so happy to be doing that. It feels like, playing Smash Brothers feels like going home. That's what it feels like. And no other, I can't say that about anything else. I just, if I want, if I ever decide to get tattoos, I'm going to get the Smash logo with like the light blue flame coming out of it tattooed on me. That is one tattoo that if I ever, if I ever cross that bridge, that is the first one I'm doing. I'm getting it on my right shoulder. I mean, so much of what Mark said, you can incorporate into why I love it. I don't, it just, it's, it's just, it's just video games. Like, it's just, it's. Nintendo is my favorite developer, they're my favorite publisher, and it's just, again, similar to Astro, but obviously way more, just, it's the celebration of Nintendo, yes, there is a bunch of third parties, but at its core, it's still a celebration of Nintendo, the gameplay is just, it's, it, it created, it created a subgenre that only it has been able to do as well, it is such a unique game for that fact alone, just, this is in Smash itself is just very important to me, to like to the point that if I ever got like significant other, it's like you better be you better either enjoy playing or enjoy watching it because it's going to be a part of my life. How many fucking weekends I have spent watching competitive Smash and I just don't. I've just recently gotten to the NFL. I am way more invested in competitive Smash than I am the Buffalo Bills. I just am. <laughs> I know, like, I'm not even trying to, it just... No, no, I believe you. Yeah. I just am. Like, it's, I will scream. Like, whenever the Bills lose, I'm upset for 40 minutes, and then I move on. And I, again, you, my roommate's going to test that. Like, he sees, like, he watched the game and says, after, like, 40 minutes, like, no, nah, I'm done. I just, I feel nothing, and I move on. Whenever a player I really like, if I, if they ever win, I think about it for, like, weeks. It's like, oh man, if they had just fucking spot dodged instead of that, he fucking read it wrong. Oh my god, if he had just hadn't fucking SD'd. Oh my god. Like, it just, and especially if a player I don't like wins, that I seethe for days, quietly. Check on Tornado would have been so much fucking better if fucking Sonics didn't make it. Who likes watching Sonic and his tag is Sonics? Like, come on. But, oh, sort of Dominican Republican, yeah, Republican, I guess that's cool, but like, hey, hey, I'm the only player, like, prominent player from this whole country playing a different character. You know, Jesus. But I just Smash Brothers is a lifestyle almost to me, and it is very important to me, and I love it very much, and that's why Smash Ultimate. And again, like Mark said, it's it's the promised land. Smash Ultimate is the promised land. It is what we would tell tell ourselves when we were kids. Can you imagine if Ridley finally gets in? What about Banjo? What about what about 
just King K. Rue. I remember a lot of people. A lot of people want Dark Samus. I remember. I remember watching all those fucking horribly made 2006 prediction videos. It's Dark Samus top eight. They'd be so cool. And at the time, I was I agreed with them. I was like, yeah, she would be so cool. And now she has some of the best. She Dark Samus is the best looking character in Smash Ultimate. She. Whoa. I love her design already. She has the best alt colors. Do you agree, Mark? She got, she's got the good alt costumes. Best looking character in the game? I don't know if I'd give her that. I love looking at Dark Samus more than any other character. Maybe not Sora, just of looking at him like, oh my god. But just, I don't know, Dark Samus just looks so fucking cool. And then you have the fucking, like, the veins coming out of the shoulder. Like, it's so, it's so cool. She's just so cool. But yeah, wish I wish she just played more fun than I would play her more. I don't know. But... Yeah, Smash Ultimate, shocking no one. My favorite game of all time, and it'll—I can say it always will be, unless other. The only thing that can replace it can that can replace it is a new, better iteration of Smash. If not that, Smash Ultimate will always be my number one favorite game of all time. All okay. right, now Owen, I've got a song for you. A song that we all know very well. This slightly misleading. But not really. Because I think at the end of the day, it might be a song that listeners of the podcast might. Uh, if Owen ever decides to play it, yeah. might. I'm struggling. Give me a second. <laughs> there we go. Might might have even might have been able to guess and might even be able to recognize here. This is a spot. If we could break all the rules, I would just give it to the series, period. But well, Kingdom Hearts can't. 2. I can't, I can't. So I would give it to Kingdom Hearts 2. Because it is, uh, of the entire experiences throughout the, the series, it is the, the best one. It is one of the most important ones to me. And uh, this Kingdom Hearts is a series. There's just undeniably no other series I pay as much attention to. Right. Or care about as much. Smash is a close second, but Kingdom Hearts is definitely the one I like a little bit more than Smash Brothers. Uh, part of me considered putting Kingdom Hearts three up here, just because. Up here. Yeah, up here. I'm not gonna lie. Part of me has oh been considering. My. I really, I want to replay it because when it came to. You are looking for what you want, not what is there. Snap the hold fuck on. out of it. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's because playing this game with the DLC on the critical difficulty they added later with a lot of the post-game enemies gave me the experience, gameplay-wise, that I was looking for. No, from the story this is never me with Metal Gear Solid Five. There's a lot there to not appreciate about Kingdom Hearts 3, but there's I do think there's a great game in there if you're willing to buy a $40 DLC that adds very little. You know, like, that speaks for itself. Did you hear what you just said? Exactly. I heard what I just said. We'll talk but, about the game you like. But here we are, and I didn't do that. So, you know, it's very it was very tempting, but no, Kingdom Hearts 2 is the one. The Kingdom Hearts series is just easily my favorite game series. Kingdom Hearts 2, very big. First Kingdom Hearts. I talked about games that were like milestones, where uh, freaking Fire Emblem, 
Ocarina of Time, Mario 64, probably more important than all those milestones, because I always, I've been loosely referencing, I was always an RPG person, and maybe Fire Emblem one, uh, Fire Emblem was the one that sealed the deal. Kingdom Hearts is what put me on the path, originally, not to make me the big RPG person. Not the most traditional RPG by any means, but uh, definitely the game that made me fall in love with games more than any other, which is arguably unfortunate, because Kingdom Hearts a lot of problems. There's a lot to not like about Kingdom Hearts. It's a hard series that, uh, after this many years of being a fan, is hard to rationally stay loyal, but yet... It's a series that does everything in its power to push you away, and it did me. But I still persevere, and still care about it. Um, I feel like... <laughs> This is not just a nostalgia pick because I am still on the side right now playing Birth by Sleep again. And then we'll be playing Dream Drop Distance again, trying to get the platinum trophies in each of these games again. They're games that fit like a glove. Experiences I do really like, even though I could tell you so much I don't like about every single entry, probably except two. Except for two. King Hearts 1, I got things I don't like. King Hearts 3, I got some stuff I don't like. Which I'm very grateful to this point. I can say there's just some stuff I don't like about Kingdom Hearts 3. A game that when it launched, I was very distraught about and was super conflicted about how I cared about the whole series. Mark, I've seen those cutscenes. I've seen them. They don't fix what's broken. The the DLC. It helped enough. It helped seal the wound, is all I'm saying. Some of the members of the final Organization 13 are like, punch me in my face. I can't believe this is so stupid. And you know what you get to do? You get to punch him in the face. I don't want to do that. I want them to not be there. Well, yeah, keep going. Um, But uh, this is... I don't want this to sound like a purely nostalgic kind of thing, but it is just there isn't another game series that I have cared for more. There isn't the cast of characters that despite maybe my better intuition... That I care for more, Super even though some Smash of them. Brothers. Well, it's not the same in that way because it's like this isn't their story. This is just all those characters coming together. This is the core story here, and on top of that, Smash has Kingdom Hearts in it now. So, like, I don't know. And we of can course, fix this. we can edit the video and have Smash just. Well, here's my number one, Smash Brothers. Nope. I feel like I've gushed enough about Kingdom Hearts. It sits at number one, Kingdom Hearts two. Sorry, Persona Five. I'm I'm over the hype. I'm sorry, guys. Wow. I like the soundtrack. Over the I like hype, the... He says. I I like the soundtrack a lot. I do like the game a lot. It's some of my favorite turn-based combat. It probably sits in the top twenty. But Did there's other parts. Mention? Uh, well, all the other. I didn't mention. I was also going to mention Slay the Spire as an honorable mention, but I went right over it. And still not. He it's still not for Persona Five. Utter disrespect. It is. It is certainly a top twenty game. I think at this point, but it is not a top fifteen game. I'd put Street Pass over Persona Five. That's one. Maybe should have been closer in those honorable mentions, but he's disrespecting it. That is all well, I have to say here about my top ten. It is out there. Owen, put the nail in the coffin. What is your favorite game? Of all time. Well, it's time to talk about Persona 5. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> I almost sent you a song from Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links, and I was going to do a bit of why that's actually now my favorite game, because I'm going to be going competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! But no, I decided not to do that. It'll be interesting if uh, if anyone finds this song familiar. I think this will be like mildly surprising that's my number one, Wait. but it'll Before 
before you play it. If this is immortality, I'm gonna come to your apartment. I'm gonna slap you. I'm gonna slap you as hard as I can. Going into this episode, guessing your your list, especially the number one, was the big thing. I felt like I don't even know where to start on this. Like guess games that I maybe fall in the top. I thought it was gonna be Rocket League. I wasn't sure if it was going to be Fallout New Vegas or maybe Rocket League. I wasn't super Those convinced. Those are the two I, that I thought of. Bully still has yet to make an appearance. I, no, he I said no. It's an honorable mention. mention. Fuck, I missed that. Well, yeah. if that's if the case, mortality, I'm gonna lose my mind. So, is it the game? I, oh, go, I almost had it. a slip of a tongue earlier that would have uh, put me in a pickle here, but uh, I'll play. I'll play the song. It's not immortality. I don't ah. know what the fuck this is. This is yeah. the Elder yeah, Scrolls really? Four. Oblivion. Oblivion. Okay. Oh. I thought it was Skyrim for a second. Now, Peter, I actually thought there was a possibility you would have found this familiar because I believe Matt Mercer uses a lot of Oblivion music for uh, for Critical Role. Um, you might. I don't think But uh, this is the one where it was my actual first eye-opening I didn't realize video games could be this type of game so it was probably this game came out in 06 I think I probably played it in 2009 if I had to guess um, which would have made me about 11 years old uh, my brother just randomly rented it we used to rent games all the time I had no idea what it was. He claimed to have played it at a friend's house. Um, uh, genuinely no idea that it even existed. And I watched him play it and the intro, uh, you, you're a prisoner and you break out of prison. That, that's something that just always works for me. Like, prison break? Sure. I'm in. Um, so I watched him play through that intro and I thought, like, oh, wow, this looks really cool. And then... From there, for the like four days that we had the game, I I was like the only one that played it. I became obsessed with it, and every single time I would see him in the house, it's like, oh my god, I just did this, and I I can't believe it. And and I eventually ended up getting the the game of the year edition comes with the Shivering Isles DLC, which is uh, a classic for P- fans of Bethesda games. I almost my slip of the tongue earlier was I almost said that um, New Vegas is the the best form of a Bethesda game, and that wouldn't be totally honest because this is my number mm-hmm. one. Maybe in some respects there's an objectivity of like New Vegas might be a better game than Oblivion. It might be, um, but this is an instance of the nostalgia takes it over the hump for me. I think it's an incredible game, but the discovery of how large this world was, the the primary city in Oblivion, it's called Imperial City. You go to Skyrim, these cities, like they're like a few blocks. There might be a castle connected to it. Uh, this this is one of my biggest disappointments with Skyrim because the Imperial City has about 
I want to say it has like five or six city blocks within it. Like you need to go through loading screens to get to other parts of the city. It's so big. There's a Coliseum you get to fight in. Um, there's a, a huge storefront area where I spent many, many hours just trying to learn how to like rob jewelry stores. Um, this game was a big like... It was the only game I had to play for a long time, and I was totally fine only playing this game. The number one thing I want to point to that puts it over the edge for me is the Elder Scrolls games are often praised for like being able to join guilds, and there's the Thieves Guild, and the Dark Brotherhood, and the Fighters Guild. I, I never played Morrowind. I think the way Skyrim handles those guilds is incredibly disappointing to me because in Oblivion, they were a big deal. And it also helps that like this was like pre-phone, iPhone era, so like couldn't look up everything. The sense of discovery of, in order to join the Thieves Guild, you had to just know that Thieves Guild meetings would happen in a specific location at a certain time of night. And you would have to find that meeting and then complete a challenge in order to get in the Thieves Guild. If you failed that challenge, you weren't in the guild. That's not the case in Skyrim. You, you, you can, there's a challenge for the Thieves Guild in Skyrim. If you fail it, they're just like, yeah, but you've shown promise, so we're letting you in anyway. What, what the fuck is that? I don't like that. Um... Or the sense of discovery when to join the Dark Brotherhood, which is like the the Assassin's Guild, what you have to do is is you just have to kill a person in cold blood, and when you go to bed, you're woken up by one of the members of the Dark Brotherhood. As as an eleven and twelve year old, like this was unbelievable to me. Um I spent the vast majority of my time in this game never considering the main quest. I, I It was probably three or four years after my primary Oblivion playing time that I actually decided, like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna start up a save and play through the main quest. Like, I, oh, it was actually a thing. I was so young when I played it that part of the main quest is you have to close Oblivion Gates. And if you go through an Oblivion Gate, you're pretty much just in hell. And you have to find like the castle or something that has something in it. You, you, you can close the gate. I was terrified of these things. I didn't want to go anywhere near them. I wanted to play everything in the game that was around the Oblivion Gates. I, I did not want to go into hell. It scared me too much. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I know a lot of people can get plenty from uh, Elder Scrolls games beyond the main quest, but this is the one that I really felt uh, I was able to dive my teeth into. And I don't know how much more I need to explain. Uh, I always wondered why everyone seemed to love Skyrim more than me. And it was a few years ago that I realized like, I just liked the way they did everything in oblivion so much better even uh this is a critique of the game but i love it like 
voice acting's not great. It can be kind of goofy sometimes, but I don't know. I don't care. Um, it, it accomplished what it needed to, and now I get to look at the goofiness as an older person and just kind of think, like, oh, that's pretty funny. The, Have you seen the memes out there about people impersonating Oblivion characters? Surely. Um, I I have definitely seen the, like... Uh, it was actually an early TikTok thing I saw of mm-hmm. people impersonating the like, stop, you violated the law guy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That was exciting to me when that came across my my TikTok. Um, He's just swimming across the pool. Why won't you <laughs> die? <laughs> so um, it's, it's a whole thing. That guy's uploaded plenty of others, and there's a lot that are very, very good. So there, There's some technology that they used to have like procedural conversations happen between characters. So if you pay enough attention to them, you'll just listen to people have completely nonsensical conversations with each other. Like they, they don't even kind of make sense. Um, and they make for such great, uh, unintentional comedy. Uh, speaking of replays, an Oblivion one needs to happen. It's probably been almost a decade since I played it. Um, I played it all the way through, that is. Uh, so even just talking about it makes me want to get to it. But I think this has been a long enough episode. Of the Actually, do we want to do a quick relisting of our top tens? Just one final recap. Very quick, and we'll go snake order. I'll start, then Mark, then Peter. Uh, my top 10 was number 10, Hitman World of Assassination. Number 9, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Number 8, Returnal. Number 7, The Sims 3. Number 6, Halo 3. Number 5, Red Dead Redemption 2. Number 4, Fallout New Vegas. Number 3, Metal Gear Solid 2. Number 2, Rocket League. And number 1, The Elder Scrolls 4 Oblivion mark okay for me i was at number 10 super mario 64 number nine celeste number eight outer wilds number seven legend of zelda ocarina of time number six xenoblade chronicles one number five fire emblem radiant dawn number four what remains of edith finch number three legend of zelda majora's mask number two super smash Bros. ultimate and number one kingdom hearts two peter and my top 10 list was XCOM 2, num- yeah, number 10, XCOM 2, number 9, Kingdom Hearts 2, number 8, Tales from the Borderlands, number 7, The Last of Us Part 1, number 6, Xenoblade Chronicles 1, number 5, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Wisps, number 4, God of War Ragnarok, number 3, Halo 3, number 2, Mass Effect 2, and number 1, Smash Ultimate. Very nice. This has been episode 100 of the BNY Gaming Podcast. It has been a very fun time. Oh, yeah. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. Forgive us. We're tired. Here's to another 100 episodes.